Welcome to Fly Cool Shit, the show where Jeff Petro and Mark Pollard talk about aerobatics, unique airplanes, aviation news, and so much more. Hey pilot, you're cleared to enter the box. Smoke on. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Fly Cool Shit, powered by Lyft. I'm Mark, and we are sans Jeff today. This is the first time I think Jeff has not been here since he's been on the podcast, but we have uh, some very suitable, very appropriate replacements. We have Alex Huey, Eric Moore, and Brian Jones back on the podcast, all together to talk about Borrego. What's up, guys? Morning. Hello. Good morning. Wait, we, where uh, the hell do we begin? Should, should At seven thirty a.m. after 7. a contest weekend, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, whose bright idea was this? Uh, it well, wasn't it was, mine. I don't think it was mine. It was, was it, it mine. Was, it was mine. It just happened to work with everybody's schedule. So here we are at seven thirty in the morning. Fair enough. Fair enough. We're we're making magic. Um, uh, yeah. It's it's it, a lot of firsts today, guys. Uh, this is the first time I think we've had three people, three guests on at a time. And it's the first time I've recorded at seven 30 in the morning. So it's good. It's a lot good. of unknowns like right now. Yeah. Yeah. We're flying the unknown right now. Basically is what we're doing. Oh, good. I'm, um, I'm fantastic <clears throat> at those. So it'll be, it'll be good. <laughs> well, let's talk about it. So we have uh, two competitors and one contest director that all attended Borrego this last weekend or last week. Um, from a contest, from a CD standpoint, Brian, how did the contest go? Oh man, uh, it was a blow away success. Um, this is the largest regional contest going back to the '90s. Uh, looked it up in the contest database um, website. So Michael Church tells me that in 1994 they had a contest with 57 pilots, which is, I guess, the all time record. Wow. Um, you have these old guys that are like, yeah, back in my day in the eighties, we had like 57 in sportsmen, man. And I think they're full of shit because <laughs> I don't know how a contest would work with like 57 pilots in each category. You'd have to be there it for two weeks, you know? Yeah. So I, I feel like there's some exaggeration going on. Uh, but no, a bunch uh, of spotlights and some nighttime flying, I guess. Cause you'd have to run, you'd have to run each category 24 hours a day. Yeah. Right. So 47 pilots and and what's really cool is that is without a bunch of our regulars. Um, you know, we had a ton of people that couldn't come because of airplane issues or, you know, personal conflicts. Sammy Mason apparently scheduled his damn wedding on the same weekend as an aerobatic contest. So, you know, there's that. that. That's real uh, big dick energy. He, he took a lot of people away from That's real BDE, dude. Well, he took Olmstead uh, and Olmstead aviation yep. away, which is like at least three yep. or four students. Um, so what I'm saying is... He showed up, though. He did, right? He did. Uh, did you hear what happened to his turtle deck? So, okay. Uh, this is, I guess this is semi-inside baseball. I didn't hear exactly what had happened to his turtle deck, but the day Mario came over... Um, and took AJ away from, we, we were going to record with AJ and Chris and AJ had to go deal with some stuff with the airplane. Yeah. And that's all I had heard. Oh um, yeah. So, so some that, screws that poor guy just loose. Been having issues. 
some screws came loose in his turtle deck, you know, just from vibration. Um, you know, like the the screws that hold the the carbon fiber panel to the frame, and they worked loose. The wind got under there and catched it in a vertical downline. Caught, caught, caught it. For those of you who speak English, uh, and ripped the thing off the airplane uh, in the vertical downline and went back and hit the tail. So check your check your screws. <laughs> Double check your screws. Make sure they haven't backed out. Hey, hey Mark. Hey Mark. Going back to our last yeah. class when you're talking about all the screws that come loose on a pit, huh? That seems. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know, dude. I, and I got to be honest. And, and granted, I don't fly. A, AJ is a fucking animal. Okay. Let's just let's just get that out of the way um, first and foremost. I don't fly like AJ. I will never fly like AJ. Um, both in intensity and skill, because he's he's crushing it in every sense of the word. Um, honestly, I you know I I I, I kind of. Every, I don't know, every few flights, I will go and, and kind of like touch screws on the airplane. And there's yeah. there's less than than there are on a pits. Um, I've only ever found maybe a screw here, a screw there loose. And these screws on the extra don't get tight and very tight. I mean, I remember uh, on the pits, some of them like you got to really like wrench them down. Otherwise, they're, they're gone. Like if yeah. you don't really tighten them, they are gone. Um, I've never had. I've never had something where I've, I've found any panel on an extra loose like that. That's, that's really freaky. Um, yeah, that's, that's really freaky. Could anyway, it be also so, too like, uh, yeah, anyway, um, that, that, he, sh- God, he showed many- up, which was, which was awesome to have AJ there, especially cause it gave us uh, a second unlimited pilot. We're kind of famous for usually having like five unlimited pilots, uh, that come to Brago yeah. and this year with Rory out and, and Jim out for obvious reasons. Um, you yeah. know, we were, we're down a little bit in the unlimited category. So it was great to have somebody to fly against Endo who came back after two years. He was stuck in Japan for two years because of COVID finally gets back practices for three days and then hops up and flies, you know, unlimited, uh, unknowns in an airplane. He hasn't touched for two, two, just over two years. So that was cool. But if we had had all of our Super regulars, impressive. we would have been approaching 60 pilots. Um, at a regional contest. And as it was, we're already 65% the size of nationals with 60 pilots. We're like pushing the size of nationals. I think they had like 76 there in the powered, uh, categories. So it, it's really awesome. You know, like Texas just canceled a contest because of uh, lack of interest. And over here, uh, on the West coast, we're firing in all cylinders. It was great to see. Yeah. Well, I think Barrera- yeah. Did, didn't the Florida contest cancel too a month ago. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, did it? maybe I'm confusing it with the Texas one, but I know Sebring's Sebring is coming up, or, or it happened. But yeah, I know Sebring's like this weekend, I think, or yeah. or this past. Yeah, yeah. But I thought I thought there was another uh, Florida contest that that had canceled too. Um, hopefully, it's not. And it's just yeah. The um, I can't remember the Texas uh, contest. It was uh, that, that's a twenty four, I think. The early okay. bird, the early bird special, something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Borrego's really become you know, my, like the, 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 the big first contest of the year, you know, and, and on, on the, on the West coast and it has great attendance and like the vibe is awesome. Well, and it's big enough now that, uh, you can have two in Brago. How often, I mean, what's, I think there's a few, there's a few contests that happen at the same airport twice in a year at, at certain regions. I think like, doesn't Sebring have two? Yeah. Yep. Um, Borrego, Sebring, uh, Gosh, I'm, I'm, there, there's gotta be others. And I just, I can't, um, I can't think of them now, but, uh, that's, it, it's a huge Testament because you get 
huge attendance in both. Yeah, the spring contest tends to be a little bigger than the fall because the fall happens to be right after nationals, usually a few weeks, and people are just yeah. like, all right, I'm done. Um, yeah. But, you know, to to see what's nice is to see the constant growth, right? Like for the past three years or so, we've just been growing and growing and growing, and the contests are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's kind of uh, against the trend. You know, everybody kind of thinks that aerobatics is dying. And what's really freaking cool is the number of first timers that were here. Like our primary category was 19 pilots. It says 18 online, that. but that's because one of them flew primary for a patch and was actually a sportsman competitor. But we had 19 flying primary sequences, you know, um, and those will be, you know, those will be the, the, the next Rob Hollins in 10 years. So they're going to, you know, a handful of them will move up the categories and it's great to get them in. Is that all? It, is that all it takes to get to Rob Hollins? Just 10 years, a decade? Yeah, you know, it takes. I, I gotta. You, I should get started. You come to Borrego, you fuck up your sequence for ten years, and all of a sudden you're flying air shows. It's great. All of a sudden you're doing inside tumbles and endos. Yeah. <laughs> also, has anybody checked to make sure Huey's not dead? I'm here. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's sleeping. He's sleeping. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Alex worked all night. Um, okay, so contest uh, director's uh, perspective. Uh, sounds like a really huge success. How about from two um, amazing competitor perspectives, both flying lasers, uh, Alex and Eric? Uh, what did you guys think of the contest from a competitor standpoint? Uh, it's fantastic, honestly. I think it's one of the best, and, I, and I've, I've told Brian this like throughout the weekend. Uh, Brian's definitely the hardest working man out there for sure to make it happen. Um, super smooth. Uh, practice day, you know, was windy. There's nothing you can do about that. Friday was super windy, but despite the wind, um, I mean, there was always airplanes diving into the box. You know, think about on Friday, how many flights we had to get, get through, um, starters did a great job. Um, there's no major technical issues. It was just super smooth. Um, you know, so I, I, I don't think I have any criticisms for, for the contest. Um, in the least. I mean, I think it's just really an example of how to run a contest. Yeah. The contest was that's what it seems like from a, yeah. Yeah. That's what it seems like from an out, just from somebody uh, watching from, uh, from social media. Uh, that's absolutely setting the benchmark. Well, I mean, we had what three, three holds before going into the box. Yeah. And that seemed to be like the ticket. It seemed like every 20 seconds after a sequence, somebody else was diving into the box. There was no time to, practice your sequence in front of the uh judging line um yeah yeah. so that's actually there's a funny story there uh like two and a half years ago dan kripchuk and paul miko uh who were running starter they came to me and they were they said all right here's what we're gonna do we're gonna have three aerobatic holds and i said um okay so i should just get started on the mid-air ntsb collision report right now (laughs) just fill it out yeah yeah I was a little skeptical, <laughs> you know, they, they had like the whole chart. Uh, I have a big poster that I show off at the morning briefing, you know, with the holds labeled and they had the whole thing done and they were like, listen, this is really, this is the ticket. Um, I was a little skeptical, but holy God, this system is just amazing because it fills in the gaps, right? So you, you the starter, all the starter does is fill the holds. Um, if there's a hold empty, he launches a plane. And then if a plane has like a mechanical, right, you know, it gets on the starting line and it doesn't start, 
Um, if you're only running one hold, then the whole contest drags, right? Because there's a there's a delay there while that plane gets moved out and the next plane gets brought up and that plane starts, goes the hold. Now, you know, the judges are sitting for five minutes with three holds. When something like that happens, you know, there's still an airplane always ready to dive into the box. you right. So the primary hold, the number one, is always ready when the chief judge calls and the other ones suck up delays like that so when you have a technical you pull that airplane out of the way you start the next one and now you tell that guy oh take off go straight to hold number two instead of three right because you know the the gap has closed so now two holds are available but it just sucks up all that stuff that otherwise drags down a contest and i was on the judging line for um primary unlimited in advance and holy god man Every 40 seconds, you couldn't even take a break to go to the bathroom. Every 40 seconds, there's a new airplane diving into the box. And we were done by 2 p.m. on Saturday with a 47 pilot contest. So it just uh, hats off to Miko and Dan. They That system works great. Yeah, and it, it's one of the benefits of that. It gives the underpowered airplanes, like in the lower categories, uh, enough time to oh, So you're not waiting. For sure. Yep. Yeah, that's huge. That's that's super efficient. Um let me ask you this from a, <clears throat> not from a, uh, okay, maybe from a uh, getting done early standpoint, positive, um, from a, uh, um, you know, no dull, no dull moments, positive standpoint, from a judge's standpoint or a volunteer standpoint, does that, I mean, it puts more pressure on, on the judge's line, I would imagine. Is that, is that, uh, how do I, how do I want to ask this question? Um, is that better or worse than having the lulls in between? not getting a break. I mean, is it good just to power through, get it all done and and kind of have less breaks or is the pacing a little too high? No, honestly, it's really nice. Yeah. Better for sure. On that judging line for so long with so many pilots, you just want to get it done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It it holds your, the worst, the worst part about it being on the judge line, right. Is, um, when it's like a five, six minute break between airplanes. Cause you know, now it just feels like it's dragging. Um, so you're really aware of how, how much time is passing, right? It, it, it's one of those things yeah. like when you're occupied, you don't notice the passage of time, but when you're just sitting there idle waiting, um, then it, it really feels like, oh God, how many more airplanes do we have to go? Um, you know, so I think I think it's much better. Absolutely. Makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Eric, tell us about... Um, what category you competed in and how that went. Sure. I, I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you the rundown. So this is my, uh, my first contest, uh, in, in advance. I decided to move up to advance yeah. at, the end, at the end of last year. Um, and, um, I couldn't have asked for, for it to, to go any better, any better than it, than it did. Um, I was feeling pretty, pretty good about my flying, uh, going into the contest. Um, however, I also, I tried to be prepared for as much, of the unknown elements that I was expect, you know, that I was expecting. Um, the catalog for the advanced is, you know, the unknown figures is, is huge. And, you know, I haven't even really scratched the surface, but, you know, I practiced some things in advance um, just to be prepared for, in case I hadn't seen, seen some stuff like um, different variations of half snaps and some, some other stuff like that, just so that I could get, get through an unknown sequence, um, knowing that I have the whole year to keep working on that stuff. And, I, my goal was to fly, start flying advanced and start getting in front of the judges and getting that contest experience. So, you know, by the time nationals come around, I've, you know, kind of been there, done that. Um, Thursday practice went well, you know, it was windy, you know, it's good to see the box, get your reference points and everything. Um, 
you know, and, and I had, I mean, Huey saw me practice and, um, Alex Coates saw me practice and he's like, man, you're looking really solid. Um, I wasn't feeling solid, but you know, having them look, you know, critique me from the ground, um, and Howard critique me from the ground kind of gave me some confidence saying like, Hey, I can do this. And, um, I almost fucked it all up. Uh, first figure of, of the known, um, which nobody knows. So I'll tell, I'll tell this story. I don't even, I didn't even tell Huey this or, or anybody this story this whole weekend. So, uh, I think I was the first advanced pilot to fly um, on Friday, and uh, honestly, I was a little bit nervous. Um, it was my first, it was my first known, uh, first advanced flight in front of the judges, and typically I don't get nervous. You know, I've been, you know, been doing competitive stuff my, my whole life, and I'm usually my preparation helps alleviate the nerves. But I was a little bit nervous, and um, Michael Church called me into the box, and uh, it was a Y-axis entry, and I was entering over the judges uh, on the Y, and um, Figure one is just, you know, uh, pull vertical, quarter roll, push over, uh, full snap on the down 45, pull back vertical, two of eight on the up, layout inverted uh, on the Y, um, going the same direction that, that you started. And um, I set up on base. Uh, I, I, I pulled onto the 45, diving into the box, bang the wing wags, you know, checked, you know, airspeed. I, I was on airspeed. I was on altitude. I was exactly where I wanted to be. And I pulled to the vertical and I go, oh, fuck, something's wrong. Props at 2,400 RPM. So as I pull, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And I don't know if anybody heard it, but I pulled, you know, I, I pulled to the upline, said, oh, fuck, rammed the prop control in, counted one, two, hit the quarter roll, waited for my airspeed, pushed over. Um, and then I just took a breath at the top as I pushed over. I said, okay, that was a mistake. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, I nailed the snap and I pulled to the vertical. And um, from that moment on, it was no more butterflies. It was just, I made that mistake. I didn't let it ruffle me. Um, and I flew a good sequence. I think I only got like one one out, maybe that whole sequence. Um, and I ended up winning the flight with like 73% in my first first known. So um, that was, that awesome. was, pretty, that was pretty, pretty damn cool. Um, and honestly, you know, coming out and winning the first flight, you know, and I watched, um, I watched Barrett's, Barrett's flight. Um, well, Barrett made a mistake. Duncan flew. Okay. Uh, and Mario Mena in, um, was flying AJ's 330 SC. I saw his flight from the ground and it, it looked damn good. Um, and the score, the scores didn't, didn't prove that out. Uh, cause I won by, by a pretty good margin. Um, but anyway, fr- from that moment on the, the nerves were off. And then, um, later that day going into the, into the freestyle, um, I just crushed it. I was, I was killing it. I, I felt really confident, um, up until the very last figure. And of course, like a spode, I, I ended up hard zero in the last figure in my, uh, in my freestyle, which I've flown hundreds of times, but, um, I made a mistake, but, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't what was the figure? Uh, so the last figure in my freestyle is, um, I come out of an end figure. Uh, so I have some speed. Um, it's, uh, it's pull 45 half roll inverted push to the vertical hammer. And then if I do it right, I'm right at center center box. And on the down line, it's one and a quarter roll, uh, and out on the Y. And if I, if I do it right, I exit right over the judges at like 900 feet. Um, well, everything was great. I pulled 45 and as I rolled to the inverted, um, I was short on the half roll and, um, you know, you're taught, you know, if you make a mistake, don't, don't correct it, you know, cause maybe they don't see the heading error. Maybe they don't see that you under rotated the point or whatever. So I just held it. Um, so what the one wing was high as I was inverted. And as I pushed, as I pushed to the vertical for the hammer, 
um, of course I was no longer square and I tried to take it out, but I made a mistake and I actually rolled 90 degrees on the upline. So when I reached the vertical, I lost my reference point. And when I pivoted, I was 90 degrees off heading. I said, well, fuck, that's a hard zero. And I, you know, pivoted, set the downline and, um, did the vertical roll and exited on the X when I should have exited on the Y. Um, but I'd already known as soon as I pivoted, I was, I, I pooched it. Um, but mm. you know, uh, small mistake. I didn't really worry too much about it. Um, you know, I still flew that sequence like a 68%, um, you know, and I, I, I still placed third in the flight. Um, but I lost the lead to Duncan cause Duncan killed Barrett flew fantastic in his freestyle. It looked beautiful. Duncan flew very well. Um, I took third and, um, going into the unknown, I was 120 points down. Um, but I knew, you know, I, I didn't beat myself up too bad about that. Uh, I just knew if, uh, going into the unknown, uh, if I flew well and didn't, and, and didn't get any zeros, um, I would win. And, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't know why I thought that, but, um, I just prepared really well, you know, studied my first unknown and, and I had it wired, you know, Huey, you know, we, we joked on that podcast that Huey, um, you know, snores loud, but as soon as we got back from dinner on, on Friday night, like he was out and, uh, I think I was up to like 11 30, 12 o'clock, just getting it dialed, you know, air, you know, altitude, air speeds, you know, where I needed to be. Um, I had the sequence dialed and I was super calm Saturday morning. And, um, I was sitting there on the judging line, uh, watching Duncan, um, walk through his sequence and Duncan's a great dude, but I'm watching him walk through a sequence and I'm seeing him, um, make mistakes. Um, uh, like he's not sure which way to roll. He's second guessing himself. And I'm, I'm sitting there talking to Endo and Kendra, you know, because he's walking through it between like competitors and stuff. And I go, Duncan's going to fuck up. You know, I don't mean that in a bad way, but I'm like, he's just, he, if he's, if, if, if he's only two hours away from getting in the airplane and he's still not sure which way he's going to roll on the upline or the downline to come out on the right axis, like <clears throat> I got this. And, uh, I was the first advanced competitor to fly and, um, I flew it with, um, no zeros. Um, wasn't the cleanest, but it was, it was a good flight. And, um, I sat back and I watched, uh, I watched Barrett fly. Barrett flew a great sequence. Uh, I watched Mario fly. Mario flew a good sequence and I watched Duncan fly and sure as shit. Um, he made a mistake. And as soon as he made the mistake, I, I knew I won. Um, because, uh, the points gap between, um, Barrett and Barrett and, uh, Mario were, were, were too far down to, to, to make up the points. Um, uh, Eric's being way too humble, man. Let me, let me break this down for you. He flew like he'd been there before, right? Like you watch, I've seen people move up from intermediate to advanced and I watch them from the judging line and you can tell, oh, okay. This person just stepped up. Uh, that's why this is going so poorly and I can't keep up with where the hell we are in this sequence. And there was none of that. Eric flew advanced in a way that would have made Matt Dunphy proud. Right. And I'll give you, I'll give you the exact. That's awesome. That we knew this. Howard was my assistant on the judging line because Howard let his judge currency lapse and it's okay. I can call him out because Howard doesn't listen to podcasts. He doesn't know what a podcast is. Um, but anyway, so Howard <laughs> Kirker, former unlimited pilot, uh, just extraordinarily talented, aerobatic genius is sitting next to me on the judging line. Here comes Eric Moore onto a vertical down, and there's like a, a full snap on the vertical down. Eric starts this snap, and exactly like 0.002 seconds later, the airplane has rotated 360 degrees, right? It is just the most aggressive snap I have ever seen somebody do on a vertical down line. And Howard Kirker just exclaims, wow. 
And if you make Howard Kirker exclaim, wow, in your first advanced flight, like you're doing some stuff right. Eric Eric looked like he absolutely belonged in advanced. It was just a pleasure to watch him fly. Uh, well, thank, thanks, Brian. That is awesome. I, I appreciate it. It, it. it did go very well, and um, I, I was pleased with my, my flying. Um, so yeah. yeah, get and that wing looked, spar looked at. Just double check that. Yeah. It's, hey, <laughs> hey, you know what? That's all it was technique. a snap. <laughs> That's all technique, man. Because I, I, I do that. I do the one. The, I do the full snap on the vertical down line at, at 110. So it's just you know not not even that bad. It just goes around really really quick. Um, but yeah, just that poor pre- laser is going to have some saggy wings now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, just to recap really quick. Not to take up um, too much time. Um, yeah, I. As soon as I saw Duncan make a mistake, I I, I knew I had won, and uh, I think I won with like seventy percent and like four hundred point uh, four hundred points over over second place. Um, but I, I, I there's there's no way to, to say this. I don't know the right way to say it. So I'll just I'll just, I'll just go out and say it. Um, I've never been less excited to to win something in my life, um, and that's only because I was so incredibly humbled. Um, humbled because I realized how much there is to learn and how much more I, I have to go. And uh, I talked with Ron Chadwick the other day, or just yesterday, and I said, you know, the, the true learning begins when we admit that we know nothing. So um, it was a great first showing, but there's a lot of work to go. And uh, yeah, I was incredibly humbled to have been there and fly as well as I did and, you know, kind of brought home my first overall contest when it happened to be in my first advanced contest. So only up from here, I hope. Yeah. Well, you, you know what? You could be humble. You can be humble and like appreciative, whatever. You're walking around the flight line looking at, look at this bitch getting his, walking this flight wrong, dude. I'm going to crush this fucking guy. <laughs> whatever, dude. Whatever. All right. There, there's definitely some truth to that. And that comes from my racing background. Because <laughs> it's true. You have to have a little bit of swagger and confidence. And I said, I'm like, I just said, I just said, Dunk's going to fuck up. You know, he's a good pilot. And sure, I mean, he did. You know, the figure one was like a super goldfish. It's like pull 45, 204, pull all the way around, back to the up, uh, back to the 45 up line, full snap, cap off. He did all that. He pulled around to the 45 and he did um, half snap. And then he realized he did a half snap and he rolled upright and capped off. I go, oh, well, hard zero first figure, bud. I just won. Thanks. Appreciate that's, it. That's the, yeah. Done deal. Yeah. But, but I knew it you know, so well. Like that, you know, um, Jeff talks about, you know, the walkthrough and it, it's more than the walkthrough. Like when you start flying unknowns, um, you know, uh, you got to figure out what altitude to start, how much altitude you're going to gain, how much altitude you're going to lose, what, you know, what are the risks, you know, all that type of stuff. And there's a lot of negative, there's a lot of push outs in, in, in advance. And I knew that I didn't want to be pushed out, you know, at a thousand feet. You know, like if I was going to push out, I, I wanted to know what my minimum gate altitude was going to be at the top of that figure before I set the downline, did a roll on the downline, pull the power, then push out. Because, you know, at 1,800 feet, going straight down and you start to push under, the ground looks pretty fucking big. Um, Absolutely. You know, so it's important to have the discipline to know where you're going to be in space and what altitude you're going to have to work with and what your what your minimum is. Um, you know, if you don't have it, you bail out, wag out and, and, and fix it. Um, but, uh, I planned it and it worked, it worked pretty well. And, um, yeah, I, I was just confident and happened to work out pretty well. So yeah, that was my first. Congratulations, dude. Hey, thanks, Mark. I super that, appreciate that's it. That's awesome. That was really cool. Really cool. Cause yeah, you, you and Alex came on, um, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know, gosh, maybe a month or less before Borrego. And it's cool to talk to you before and after because you were working up towards it. 
And then here you are um, with the fruits of the labor. That's really cool. Well, thanks. Yeah. It, Appreciate, it, uh, it, it was fun. It was fun to like, you know, again, um, watch stats and, and watch Miko's uh, coverage of it and, and the buzz and, and just being able to watch people that you know and, and that you like do well. Oh, yeah. it, it was fun. It was fun to watch. Absolutely. Yeah, it was super fun to have Miko like interviewing people and uploading them to Facebook. And like I was following along with all the other categories and stuff that definitely uh, uh, made it interesting, I think. Eric, Eric is yeah. not the only victor from Borrego. Uh, Alex Giant Slayer Huey also had a, a uh, phenomenal contest um, and came Wait, away. Wait, he changed his call sign from Sandbagger? I, I did because he beat Howard Kirker in intermediate, which has also not happened since the nineties. There should be a trophy for that. I, I, I can't wait to talk about the scored higher than Mark Pollard trophy, but there should be a beat Howard Kirker trophy. There needs to be a beat Howard Kirker trophy. First there of all, I, I get like at least 20% of the credit for Alex's win because at the morning briefing on the first day, I opened it up and I said, uh, good morning. I'd like to begin Borrego the way we traditionally begin all Borregos. And that is by awarding first place and in intermediate to Howard Kirker. And that psyched him out. <laughs> that got him. That, uh, yeah. That was Alex, tell us about it, dude. Well, I really did not feel prepared for this contest. I only had the plane together for maybe 10 days before the contest and more like 12. Uh, so I, I practiced the known a good amount. I practiced my free once messed it up, said, screw this and flew back to my home airport. Uh, so I really didn't, didn't have any time flying intermediate, uh, before. Hold on. Doesn't that just for all you other listeners out there? Doesn't that just make you mad? Like it makes yeah. me mad. He just yeah. wakes up in his PJs, shows yeah. up. Yeah, his airplane was in pieces until like ten days before the contest, and he just you know throws it around. And okay, yeah, we hate you, but please continue your. <laughs> <laughs> so, fly down there, Eric and I talk uh, going down. Uh, of course, he's like thirty knots faster than me, burning less fuel. <laughs> So, has a canopy. Yeah. Hey, I have a canopy. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we we fly the practice flight, and I'm just not confident in any of it. I rolled the wrong direction on my free practicing in the the practice the day before, uh, which would have hard zeroed the rest of the figures because I didn't catch it till afterwards. So, uh you know the the winds on uh, was it Friday? They were bad. They were like just under the limit. Yeah, they were just over the limit. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we at one point we had like thirty four knots gusts. Yeah, yeah yep. it was it was howling. I've never seen so many competent aerobatic pilots go around. Yeah. <laughs> so. I fly the known and it was, it was bad. It was not a good flight. Uh, and it reflected in the score. Uh, kinda, uh, I play, I think I placed third in that flight and, uh, everybody's sitting there on the ground telling me, Oh dude, you just rushed it. You flew it like you were in a warehouse. You weren't flying it like you were in an aerobatic box. I didn't give the judges time to, uh, uh, score a figure before I was already completing the next one. 
So uh, Eric helped me out that night and gave me a good cadence to go through. So I flew my free the next day, placed second in that. And uh, then I flew the unknown the next day and placed second in that. And, uh, you know, that that unknown was meant for uh, a monoplane or a high horsepower biplane because there's an end figure where you cap off and then you have to do a half roll and pull through and do a four point on the bottom. Well, Howard messed up the uh, the half roll. Simple figure. I mean, I guess it was really slow, and he is flying a Great Lakes, but uh, he did like a three quarter roll. Uh, so he scored. I I don't think he hard zeroed it, but I think they scored him really low on it, and then he under rotated his uh, ninety degree rolling turn. So. That kind of sealed the deal for me. Now, I'm terrible at math, so I was looking at the scores going, yep, all right, second, second's going to be the place where I sit. Per usual, Howard's going to win. And Howard's flight shows up on the board, and I'm like, oh, crap. I placed second in that flight, and uh, the guy in the Yak-52 placed first. Good for him. That was, that was cool. And main scores come out. First place intermediate. So, yeah, I think uh, I think Alex, you did um, you did a great job of minimizing mistakes because all the other competitors, like Howard, made a mistake. Uh, Miko made a mistake, and Miko was flying really well. And okay, you, know, you got to give Miko credit because oh, he killed. He, he was he lady. was fl- flying a Panzel all the way up until the day before. Decides he's going to go into the the Great Lakes and sends it, and it was yeah. a fantastic flight. Yeah, if he, if he didn't, uh, like, damn near hard zero the last figure of the known, uh, he would have been right up there, but but it was yeah. great. But, you know, and I, I've been saying this, um, I forget who I, who, I, who I was talking to, uh, maybe maybe it was Howard, but, you know, you fly unknown, you fly, you move up to advanced, and, and you have, like, all these complicated figures. At this point, it's you got to minimize the damage, you just got to minimize the mistakes. And yeah, con- consistency. Consistency, yeah. You want on consistency. I, I want on consistency, and by minimizing mistakes, that that's yeah. the name of the game. You know, I don't think I anybody. Mean, my unknown. I had three figures that were probably out, out to the west, mm-hmm. but I didn't hard zero anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just, you know, that's nope. amazing. That that talk about the like the changes, you know, um, of switching airplanes last minute for these guys, and and I mean, you guys all are just you. You have to roll with the punches. At a contest, I would imagine. I mean, weather changes, uh, aircraft changes. That, that that is not easy. That is not easy to compete against. And but it kind of gives you a competitive edge if if you <laughs> the less changes you have in yourself, meaning no mechanicals or you know more practice, uh, the more confident you can be. But it sounds like you pulled it off, Alex, uh, with some some hard variables, dude. Yeah, and you know, Eric and I, we go back to the hotel after the uh, after we look at the scores, and we were both sitting there like we're kind of somber about and the, it. In the hot tub. Uh-huh. Continue. Well, we were sitting there like, what? Mm. Shit. I did I see mean, them in the hot tub together. No, you did not. <laughs> I don't lie. I, I, don't, yes, I, do. I tell the truth. And what, That's and all what I about, do here. And what about it, Brian? What about it? Hey, I, I went back <laughs> no and judging. got my bathing suit, but by the time I got back, you guys were already, you had moved to the, uh, the room with all of the snoring. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I so. just sat in the hot tub by myself. Oh God! No, we I, we were both sitting there like, well, 
shit, that was, I mean, it was fun. We both placed first. I made the comment, I'm like, two first place competitors are just sitting in silence. The TV's not even on. Yeah, I think we were both, we were just like drained, you know. Yeah, I think it's, it was exhaustion at that point. Yeah, it's hot. You're mid, like, yeah, you're just exhausted. And then all the mental energy you put in, and it, it's a relief. Like, yeah, we, we won. And that's a huge goal for both both Alex and I to come to Borrego and win our categories. And um, yeah, we just had to mellow out for a little bit, had a few beers, had a great time at, at, at the banquet. But uh, yeah, it just took a little while to set in, I think. I would imagine that release after, after something like that, after a weekend like that, um, it's gotta be, you, it's almost like you feel like you're going to pass out. Yeah. I think I was ready for a nap. For sure. There's no, always like, like a, um, we're sitting there, uh, you know, sitting on the ground being bashed in by wind. It's exhausting. <laughs> yeah, it really is exhausting. Yeah. And it was, oh, the wind is, is more fatiguing than temperature. It, it was fatiguing. At, I, I apologize to Brian because uh, last time we were on the podcast, we uh, shit talked his weather report, and I was wearing a jacket the entire day Friday. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it was cold. It was actually cold in Borrego. Yeah. It well, it, you guys had like a 30 degree temperature change over the course of like three or four days because I think Sunday was like up in the 90s. Yeah, it warmed up and the winds died down on Saturday, thankfully. Friday uh, was just about the worst I've ever seen Borrego was Wednesday because I brought the panzel in on Wednesday and landed in 31, gusting 39 at Borrego. And it was great because I knew it was windy. So the entire time I get close enough to listen to the ATIS, I just switch over to listen to the, um, not ATIS, AWOS at Borrego. And, you know, it goes through the recorded message. And the first time through, it's like wind, two, three, zero. Two eight gusting three two, and then it goes. You know, does the rest of it, and it comes back around like literally twenty seconds later, and the wind is like wind one five zero twenty three gusting thirty two. It's like it's opposite runways because Borrego's oh eight two six, and it's just shifting back and forth between the runways. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm crashing today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I've had I've had that I've had that thought coming to Borrego myself. I'm like, well. Good thing it's insured. Today's when I die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had I had to go around on uh, on Friday. Uh, yeah, pretty much just, did a low pass after the yeah. thing fell out of the sky. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was a it was a challenging challenging day on Friday, and I felt bad uh, for the folks I had to put on the corner because the corner is out at the box and it's just sand, right? Um, and with 30 knots of wind, you are basically just sitting in a sandblaster the entire time you're out there. Uh, they just Ugh. get destroyed by sand. And so we're making some changes for the next contest I can announce uh, in regards to the corners. Jeff will be very sad he missed it. We are going to uh, we're gonna nuke the corners for the next Borrego. Woo! Yeah. Yeah, he'll be happy to hear that. So it was... Um, a, what, yeah. Is that strictly a volunteer punishment standpoint uh yeah, or, or so you know uh, preventing somebody, somebody volunteer raised punishment? a good point right uh and that is that when you when you have so many new people coming to an aerobatic contest like we did this time um there's really only a handful of jobs they can do right uh because you have your judges and then you have your assistants your assistants have to be able to read arrestees you can't take a new person and stick them in that role right so new people can generally be recorders or like chief judge assistants or 
you send them to the corner, right? Because it's a it's a low skill position. Uh, you know, you get like a twenty second brief. Hey, airplane, go outside box. Tell chief judge, right? Yeah. Um, and so what you end up with is all these people who come to their first aerobatic contest, and then they just get banished to a corner for two and a half hours for a flight line, and they leave thinking, "Oh my god, that sucked. I never want to come back." Um, and Jim Burke a while back did some analysis. He went through all the years of contest data and looked at, all right, how often is it that outs called by corners decide the outcome of a contest? And it's some, it's something like 15%. I don't remember what it is, but it's not very often, right? Turns out that the ranking of pilots first, second, and third is generally independent of the corners. And is that's especially true the higher up you go because if you watch like the advanced sure. the limited guys fly man they are just glued to that goddamn box no matter what like 39 not wins aj is in the box never leaves it is perfect like a 10.0 on presentation so the corners are really yeah. there for the lower categories and if you give the judges a good brief and you say listen and, and you do it publicly right like at the first morning briefing and you say listen um here's what we're doing we're not gonna have corners but judges you know when a competitor is outside the box right you know when they're east and when they're west um so use the entire presentation grade 10 to zero and you kind of like publicly give permission for judges to say hand out a 2.0 on presentation right um i think that will solve the problem because as a judge you know you tend to stick to the higher numbers because you don't want to be like oh well, Eric flew like shit today, but I like Eric and I'm going to have to see him later. So, uh, 7.0, you know, um, if you kind of publicly authorize it, then I think we'll get people that'll say, no, that, that flight was all the way out to the East. Most of the way, uh, 2.0, you know, and then we save our competitors. They come out, they don't have to go slave away on a corner and they think, oh, well, that was fun. I want to come back, you know, that makes sense. And I, I would imagine from a, you know, from a new volunteer, I, I I take the perspective of a new volunteer who's in this world of perfectionism, right? That's what contest flying is, is perfectionism and or, you know, uh, finding minute mistakes, right? And so you get put on the boundary um, and you see a, a wingtip strobe go over the line and you're like, well, that's not perfect. So yeah. they're out, out in. Right. Like Jeff has that. <laughs> we've played it on the podcast before where literally he gets a call. It's like out in and it's like, OK, he might have dragged he might have dragged a wing out. Um, he, he wasn't you know completely out, but like just a very, very minor touch of the boundary. And it's like, OK, is that is that really the metric? I mean, I guess it is. If 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 you make it a metric, it is a metric um, of judging uh, whether somebody's flying uh, cleanly or not. But, yeah, I, I can only imagine that. um especially from flying the figures you're, you're doing much more damage to yourself by um, hard zeroing than you are by going out. And that's going to be the, the determiner of placement um, and how you well how do you, how well you do in a flight than, than going out. I, I would 15% sounds, that sounds probably about right in terms of <laughs> changing the, the course of fate yeah. uh, on a flight. Yeah. You by, know, and especially at the upper levels, right? Like Eric said, it's about minimizing mistakes. So often the determiner at the upper levels is the unknown because somebody screws up and somebody doesn't, and there's your final rankings, right? It's it's very yeah. rarely that both pot you have two pilots that are just flying lights out perfectly, and then one of them makes an out, and that out is the determiner of first and second place. So yeah. I yeah. think on balance, there's there to be so many other factors. 
Yeah, because there, there'd have to be so many other. Fa- I mean, your sc- the scores would have to be so close already that an out would 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 flip. Yeah, you know, from first to second, I, and that, that would, there'd be a lot of variables there. Yep. So we're gonna try uh, a contest without and uh, see what the scores come back presentation wise with that briefing, like the permission. Listen, use the whole thing and really nail people when they're not in the box because we don't have corners, right? And and see what we get, and hopefully that. Uh, that solves things because the only way I'm ever going to beat Alex Huey is if I don't get outs when I'm right outside the box. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm moving. Let me ask you this from a, so. yeah. Oh yeah. So th- th- that, so Eric's first contest in advance, your last contest in intermediate officially, right? Well, it depends if Brian lets me fly his great lakes in the, uh, next, uh, break. Oh, we did. We did talk about that. Didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, fill us in on that. Alex threatened to fly the Great Lakes at uh, the next contest. Yep. Which is going to be even more embarrassing for me because I've got like 500 and something hours in the Great Lakes and Alex is going to win in it. And then I'm going to be like, well, I guess I just suck. Well, I I think all he has to do is fly like Alex and do one snap in that thing. No, no, no. And it will turn into into two picks. Doesn't come back as a Great Lakes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it comes back as toothpicks. Uh, it yeah. comes back and, as a monoplane. Uh, it left with two wings. It comes back with one. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what happened, man. I don't but know. Snapped dude. it at 160, yeah. and it it, it broke. Uh, it, 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 <laughs> the wing disintegrated. Uh, it, at least it doesn't have a canopy to lose. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Ah, uh, uh, it's funny because it hurts. It hurts. Oh God. Wait, so so Alex, maybe, that'd be cool. So, is your plan to you know? I thought I thought you were on the, the same page. Like this was your last intermediate contest. You're just trying to to fly the Great Lakes, or do you have a plan to start working on the advanced stuff in, in your? I, I'm I'm gonna start working on the advanced stuff, and I was actually gonna go fly yesterday, but uh, you, know, you can probably tell I'm a little sick, so I'm gonna stay out of the airplane for a few days. Uh, okay. I designed a free that doesn't have much vertical maneuvers in it. It's a, a lot of, a lot of rolls and, uh, interesting for advanced, choice for advanced or, or yeah, for advanced. Okay, cool. Uh, we'll see. Uh, you know, things are always subject to change. I got to figure out what I can and can't do, uh, real high, uh, before I come back and adjust things to make a, a, a free that works for me. Yeah. Uh, well, I think I think you can do it. Your airplane, you know, this for Mark, and I know Brian will back me up. But Alex flies the shit out of his laser. Oh yeah, and um, it presents so well in in, in the box. Um, you know, as you know, I was assist, I was assist, assisting Endo, um, you know, while Intermediate was flying, and um, Alex definitely did minimize mistakes and had one of you know he took second in the unknown, had one of the best unknown flights. Um, you know, but the airplane just looks good, and he he certainly flies it flies well um i know it has a little bit more drag and it's has less power than my laser but um a i think more drag that, heavier yeah less I power for sure it could get through the known it, it could do it i know it can do it we'll just it can do a, the known uh the the figure that uh worries me is the the roller to the push push humpty oh I yeah think i get about yeah. 200 feet of vertical maybe if i go on a diet now yeah, so you're ready to fly the Great Lakes then. 
Yeah, yeah. It, so uh, I, I'm pretty sure I'm at the advantage of uh, a Great Lakes and uh, intermediate uh, yeah. flying advanced. Uh, same, same difficulty. <laughs> it was well, interesting because um, you know I saw I was judging advanced and for the freeze there were two different styles so we had um four advanced pilots and two of them took one approach to the free two of them took the other the first approach was load the fuck out of the first few figures we had like a an n figure with 57k right um or it was it was a goldfish figure with 57k in a couple freeze uh, just all kinds of decorators hanging on it. And then as the sequence went on, it turned into like an intermediate free, right? Like vertical up, vertical down, half loop up, half loop down. There's a lot of energy at the beginning. Yeah. Up high. And then once you start getting through the bottom of the box, you can, uh, you can fly it a little bit softer and still do okay. Well, it was like, it, it was like they were saying, listen, I'm going to come in with a bang. And if I screw it up, then I just, I'm, I'm done. Uh, but if I don't, then, you know, if I knock these first few figures out of the park, then the rest of it is literally just flying on autopilot. Mm -hmm. And then the other two pilots took the, all right, I'm going to balance everything evenly. So they had more figures and, you know, the roles were separated and the K values per figure were much lower. Uh, I don't, I don't know which way did you go, Eric? Cause you won. So my, it might spread out pretty well. Um, so I used the maximum number of figures, you know, there's 14 allowable figures, um, in the, uh, in the, in the free, um, and actually looking at it, um, my K actually kind of increases, uh, towards the end. Um, I start out with a couple high energy things, you know, I, I, so my approach to my free is like, you know, I'm diving in the box, a whole lot of smash the laser the me and the laser draw like incredibly beautiful vertical lines. Yeah, you so really I, do. And that white stripe down the center presents it so well. Well, thank you. And so I like to start out with what I like to call and, 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 and pardon the, the language, but just a big fuck you vertical line. So figure one for me is pull vertical, full vertical roll, cap off one turn inverted spin. Um, and then I go right back up to another vertical half roll hammer, full snap on the down line. And that's, that's like right in the middle of the box, huge upline with rolling elements that like stop on a dime. Um, and then we start going into more flowy stuff. And then the K starts it. Uh, and then I would say after the first three figures, um, you know, figure um, that, that second figure, that the hammer with the, with the half vertical roll and the full step, pretty high K figure. Um, it's pretty well balanced. Um, and then I, believe it or not, like that last figure, the one I hard zeroed, of course, is, is like one of the highest A figures. Um, so I have no excuse for hard zero in that, just other than yeah. I made a mistake. It's always and, uh, the highest K figure. Exactly. At least it was the last one, because as Jim Burke once said, he goes, uh, I think Coco, he was telling the story that Coco said to him, he's like, he's like, Jim, you, you cannot hard zero the first figure, because if you hard zero the first figure, then the judges hate you. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're going you, to hard zero a figure, you hard zero the last one. Um, so I hard zero the last one, um, you know, and, and I have it, uh, if you look in the cockpit of my airplane, I have a strip of painter's tape right on the, the spar, the now saggy spar, just kidding. Um, and it just says no excuses. <laughs> it just says no excuses. There, there, there's no excuses for a mistake like that. Um, so we'll go back and train. But yeah, uh, to answer your question, I, I, for the most part, I have the K pretty well divided between between the figures in my freestyle. Uh, yeah, makes sense. I love it, guys. Let's um, let's shift gears and uh, let's. How about some drama? Give me some drama. We had some face-off stuff um, at Borrego. 
what was the, you know, give me some, some shit talking, some drama, some, uh, rivalry. Uh, what, 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 what went down at Borrego in that regard? Oh man. Cameron Limprecht, uh, whose name I finally got right on like the final day of the contest. She flew a yak against her dad in this face-off challenge. So the face-off challenge, Miko comes to me like a month ago and he's like, here's what I want to do. You know, UFC where they do the media thing and they have the fighters line up and like pretend to punch each other. Uh, and they take a bunch of photos and build up the drama. I want to do that for, uh, for Borrego. And I said, great, that's awesome. Let's do it. So he picked a pair in each category or somebody challenged in each category. And what's cool about this is Cameron challenged her dad. They were flying the same airplane. Her dad was flying safety pilot for her. And Cameron is a student pilot. She had, she doesn't have a license yet. The IAC just made that rule that allows student pilots to fly. And there were some people that were against it, but man, I love it. She, I'm, I'm, I'm pro. Yeah, yeah I think it's awesome. I'm definitely pro student pilot with the safety pilot. Yeah, well, I mean, well, obviously, of, you know. of course, of course. Yeah, you can yeah. send out a solo. Yeah, but she beat her dad. I mean, I think that's cool. I think that's so cool. I love that they made that rule change. Yeah, I think that was great. Uh, otherwise, drama. You know what? There wasn't any. Zero protests. Somebody coasted across the starting line you know what we said oh you didn't hit anybody there was no risk it's fine no drama no drama at the regional contest i like it can i can i ask a polarizing or can i ask a uh loaded question what's up would the lack of drama because be because uh a few of those people that would have shown up didn't show up <laughs> I, I i don't think so because i haven't seen having been at Borrego of uh, past couple years now I, I i haven't even with other well-known people competitors i haven't i haven't seen any drama like that it's all been pretty smooth it's you know we're all friends that's good. we all Borrego's get together twice a year and hang out yeah absolutely I, that's that's the biggest yeah. one like we all look forward to seeing everybody and hanging out and and that's really a huge part of it um is the camaraderie and hanging out and having beers you know on on thursday um, and then, you know, Saturday, of course, you know, afterwards, and I, I, one of the things I tried to impress upon, um, some of the, the first time competitors and some of the folks I made, um, friends with, and, you know, I, I try to try to mentor and, and share a little bit of knowledge. Um, but what I try to share with them is like, Hey, don't be nervous diving into the box. Just fly the airplane. All the judges and the assistant judges and the recorders, like literally everybody is cheering for you. hundred percent. We are, we want you to be successful. We want you to fly well. We're going to downgrade you because that's what you're paying for to, to be be judged to get the best feedback you can. But honestly, like everybody is legit cheering for you, you know. And so that's my message to like people considering IAC competition and primary or, or what have you. Is like it's it's definitely not elitist or anything. We're we're cheering for you to fly well and want you to progress and fly well. So yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and I I can say um, as somebody who again I I kind of I, I get to watch and hear about contests, um, you know, in a, in a weird perspective, not attending them, watching them from the outside, looking in as how the people at the contest project the contest. And then I get to hear about the contest from people that are at the contest and then kind of form, form an opinion about, you know, the, 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 the tone of a contest. Right. And the tone of Borrego has always been like, a, a very, very positive uh, cultural kind of setting. 
you know, and there's definitely contests where you hear about where you're like, God, that just sounds like kind of sounds like you're going to a dentist office more than, a, than kind yeah. of having fun. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think we all have heard about those kind of contests and have, ex- and you guys have probably experienced contests like that, where it's just like, this is very sterile. It's very, um, procedural. It's not, it's not granted. You gotta, you gotta be safe. Obviously there's a level of professionalism and you gotta, you gotta have all those ducks in a row, but you can still do that while really projecting the idea of having fun and keeping it loose, uh, where it needs to be loose and keeping it tight where it needs to be tight. Borrego and, and there's a few other contests, um, that, that come to mind, but definitely Borrego seems to be the hallmark of that, especially on the West coast. Oh, for sure. And like, uh, and for a lot of people, you know, I, I don't just speak for myself, but like, this is my vacation. Like it, it's gotta be fun. Otherwise I'm not coming. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really yeah. good, that's a really good thing. You should tell Jeff, uh, like last time I was on, Jeff said, he's never going to fly his extra out here to Borrego, but tell him this. Tell them to schedule like a two-week vacation in San Diego just around Borrego, right? Because there's never a bad time to come to San Diego, and April and October no. are great anyway. So just pre- yeah. plan a family vacation, compete in the contest for three days out of that, and then the rest of the time, be in San Diego or Palm Springs. You got your choice. And I guess if you hate yourself, you can vacation in Yuma. Absolutely. <laughs> they're, they're all right next door. Don't do that. <laughs> So, hey, Mark, so I, I'd, like yeah. to, I'd like to pose um, a, a question to um, a- Alex and, and Brian. What, um, you know, as we're reflecting on the contest, uh, what was your guys' favorite moment in the contest? What was the coolest thing to see? You know, maybe not something related to flying, but, uh, you know, what was the you know, like highlight or favorite moment for, for both you guys? Mark Pollard Award. Oh, let's, <laughs> let's get to that. Yeah, we got to talk about that. Yeah, because so first, before we get into that, I, I have to say for the benefit of everybody that um, hasn't seen it on Facebook and also hasn't listened to Brian speak at a banquet, Brian is um, uh, a fantastic orator. He can speak to anybody. He is funny. Uh, he holds your attention. Um, I think he does a great job and he's, he's humorous. Um, he's definitely the voice of the aerobatic generation. Um, and with that, guys, when I, when I write about, when I write a book about how, um, how, uh, upset the Mark Pollard award has made me and sent me into a spiral that eventually, um, takes me down a path of alcoholism and drug abuse. When I write that book, I want Brian to read the audio book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and Mark also to your credit, thank you for being such a good sport. You do realize this is all tongue in cheek and you are a great advocate for the sport. So this is pure, like, we're glad you get it. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I, I, I love it. A hundred percent. First of all, I deserve it. Second of all, I love it. Okay. So, uh, no, I, I take no offense whatsoever to it. Um, I think it's, I, I, it's stuff like this, whether it's my name or somebody else's name. Um, it's stuff like this that I think makes this, this sport fun. Absolutely. You know, I really do. I, I think it's, I think it's hilarious. I think it's awesome. And I'm, I'm all for it. So, so anyway, without further ado, Brian, tell tell us the, the Mark Pollard award. Cause I think. Oh yeah. So deserves t- to be to answer your first question, my favorite moment of the contest, um, aside from the banquet, I love the banquet. It's my favorite part of the whole thing every time. But uh, on Friday, when the winds were really nuts, they were literally like 34. I was supposed to stop the contest at 25, and I just rounded down to 25 and said it's fine. Um, but we had uh, somebody who was supposed to go out to be a boundary judge that didn't want to, and that's pretty typical. Uh, but when that happened, yeah, when that happened, there was a gentleman, um, who we asked to go out there and that's Tom Navarre. Now, Tom Navarre is in his seventies. He flew from Texas in a great lakes, right? 
super nice guy. Uh, you just love talking to him. Really humble guy. And we turn to him and I say, uh, listen, do you mind doing this? And he basically says, put me in coach, take me out there. I'm ready. Let's go. Right. Just he, he wasn't, it was never like a, ah, fine, I guess, you know, he was just like, whatever you need. Um, and having those people at contests, like makes the whole thing so much easier from the organizing perspective, somebody who just, whatever you need from them, they're game. And so Tom Navarre did that. He went out to the sandblaster, sat for three hours on a 25 pilot line, right? Like the, the, the flight form that they give the judge clipboards, it has 26 rows. We fell 25 of those, right? Uh, they're going to have to make bigger forms for Borrego. Um, but to have Tom vol you know, just absolutely 100% enthusiastically volunteer himself to go out there and sit for 25 pilots on a boundary on a day in the desert with 39, not gusting winds is, is just phenomenal. Um, so I, that, was my favorite part. And then the next day we had trouble tracking down a corner. Um, you know, we couldn't find him, and AJ overheard that going on, right? Like my dad runs people out to the corners in the Suzuki and he couldn't find a, a corner. And so AJ came up to my dad and said, what do you need? You need a corner? I'll go. I'll do it. Let's go. Uh, AJ, the unlimited pilot who had to fly an unlimited unknown right later, um, was volunteering to go out to the corner and and work like the shittiest job at an aerobatic contest. He's already graduated out of you know the time where he should be filling that role, and to have an unlimited guy like that uh, come up and and literally hear the problem and then volunteer himself as the solution, knowing that it was going to suck, uh, it just can't say enough good things about that. That's huge. That's, That's huge. That's yeah, because awesome. you would think. It is total class. That's total class. Yeah, yep. he he's definitely setting the bar for um, the example in a multitude of ways. That's for sure. Yeah, AJ's the man. Yeah, he's just a really great guy. So anyway, this Mark Pollard Award. Uh, if you haven't seen the video online, go watch it because it's a much better introduction to it. But it's modeled after Koalinga, and uh, years ago I go to Koalinga and they give out this uh, the I think it's called the Ernst Belt. And what it is, is they make a, a leather belt. They carve that year's sportsman sequence into the belt, the resty symbols. And they uh, they give that to the worst flight in the sportsman category. I think it might be the worst first time sportsman flight, but whatever the lowest scoring flight is, you win this belt. And I did not win the belt. Uh, I went up to Koalinga. I was flying sportsman, but there was a guy who um, messed up. A, I think it was a half Cuban, right? He just came way off heading on the roll. So he took a break which is a good call. But then he re-entered the box on the Y-axis and flew the remaining eight figures on the Y-axis. So super low-scoring flight. Uh, and he ended up winning this belt. But it occurred to me like a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago, that uh, we should do something like this at Perego. And then I was like, well, I don't want to just rip off Koalinga's whole thing. What can I do? And that's when it occurred to me to do a uh, still a higher score than Mark Pollard Award, uh, which I had printed up at the trophy shop. And we gave it out to the lowest scoring flight in the intermediate category, which is what Mark Pollard would fly if he competed. And the lowest scoring flight in the intermediate category this year happened to be Paul Miko. And it sounds bad, right? Because his lowest scoring flight wasn't actually all that bad. It was like a 74%. He just happened to be lower than uh, all the other ones. 
Um, and that's he was, a crazy, that's a crazy average. I mean, if, yeah. if he's the lowest at 74, that's pretty, that's pretty freaking good. Yeah. And he was flying the great lakes on short notice. Cause he was supposed to fly the panzel and, uh, for yeah. certain reasons that didn't pan out. So he hopped in the great lakes and flew intermediate in that instead. Uh, and, and still managed to the lowest score he got was a 74 or whatever. Yeah. I hope you hang that in your, uh, you know, somewhere public. Miko and, and display it proudly. Uh, and, uh, congratulations. <laughs> it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I enjoyed handing that one out. That's awesome. And <laughs> That's so funny. Alex and Eric, they'll never have that award because they just don't fuck up enough. <laughs> you have, you, you, See, guys, if you, you have too much faith, you know, you, too much faith. you work hard. You work hard, you put your nose to the grindstone, and if you fly really, really shitty, maybe someday <laughs> get that award. I figure we will we will keep handing it out until you come to Borrego in some capacity, like just to show up to volunteer. Then we'll have to retire the Mark Pollard Award, and we'll have to come up with another uh, replacement. Well, here's, here's a, a plot twist. What if I show up and that award is there and I get the lowest score? I was going to ask that. Is that possible? <laughs> I think the trophy implodes. <laughs> yeah. There's like a wormhole in the universe. This is just, just uh, a yeah. black hole form. <laughs> it goes, goes back to the third dimension. <laughs> oh, that would be so much fun. We could have a, a real good time with that at the banquet. That would be really funny. <laughs> You know, you mentioned Tom. I love it. You mentioned Tom Navarre, uh, Brian, and I think uh, I think my favorite moment of the contest also involves um, Tom Navarre. Like I, I got two favorite moments of the contest, um, but definitely um, so Tom Navarre, uh, older guy, doctor from Texas, as Brian said. I first met him at Keel Cup um, uh, in November, and what a gentleman and just unbridled enthusiasm this gentleman has. Just happy to be there, incredibly yeah. supportive. Um, just a great guy. Uh, well, for some reason, um, on Friday, um, he, he, he'd made a mistake and, and, and didn't know that the lines had switched and that he was, he was due to fly. So he missed his flight. Okay. Um, you missed your flight. Well, uh, I guess he spoke with Brian or whoever, uh, and they allowed him to fly back to back. Now it's a sportsman. Okay. Um, they allowed him to fly back to back both flights on, uh, his second and third flights on Saturday. Uh, and he was flying the gnomes. He didn't, he didn't uh, have, have a free. Um, so he dives into the box for um, the first of, you know, the first of his back-to-back flights. And halfway through, he rolls the wrong way and proceeds to do the second half of the sequence uh, in the wrong direction. All hard zeros. I'm like, oh, man, the bummer, Tom. Like, okay, come on. You, like, I, obviously, I can't communicate with him in the cockpit. But he climbed back up to altitude he dove into the box and proceeded to fly the second sequence 100 percent correctly and he flew it well and um when he got back down on the ground i went to him and i said hey tom i saw you you messed up pretty bad um the first time but credit to you for realizing where you made the mistake and you came back and you climbed to altitude and you dove into the box and you did not make the same mistake again despite you know, probably being a little bit embarrassed, you just did that in front of everybody, but fully able to process that you made the mistake and you came back in the box and you did a good job. And uh, he was just over the moon that someone noticed that and at least gave him, you know, some kudos for that. And uh, I thought that was great because that's, um, 
me, you know, for someone without a whole lot of competition experience, you know, he was just able to rally from that and put down a good, good flight. Um, so that was my first favorite moment. My second favorite moment of the contest was watching uh, my friends, Lisa and Kendra from Pilot Makers. They, they braved the winds. They ferried the 154 Sabria from Provo, Utah, down to the desert um, for Lisa's second contest. And her aerobatic instructor, it was her first contest in the Sabria. And um, they've been good friends. And I've been kind of coaching and mentoring them a little bit, um, trying to share some of the, you know, the, 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 the secret stuff of aerobatics, you know, wing correction. I don't think it's, you know, if your goal is competition aerobatics, I don't think it's ever too early to start sharing some of the stuff we've learned with the younger people, you know, where to look and when, how you do certain things, where you need to be, box positioning, different stuff that you learn by doing and or learn by working with people that have been there and done that, either learn the hard way or learn it through camps. Um, so multiple pages of notes, just, just how to make a primary sequence come out good um and watching them fly and seeing lisa's improvements and seeing kendra's improvements over the three flights um and just their enthusiasm uh, uh in primary and crushing it and they'll be back moving up to sportsman and further down the line so that was they had more me. balls than me flying a satabria oh absolutely <laughs> yeah dude well, I, I don't know what is worse, go, flying that thing from Provo, Utah to Borrego Springs or flying it <laughs> in a contest? <laughs> oh, definitely the ferry flight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that dude, that that is a long flight from Provo. Watching oh my them God. take off, it was like they were doing maybe 20 knots ground speed climbing out. Oh, yeah. Out. Well, they had 34 knot headwind. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So watching this <laughs> thing just barely cruise by, like someone's already in the box and the Satabri is just stationary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but they got better every so flight. crazy yeah got better every flight and that was cool to see and you know trying to share with them you know hey let's how, how do we cheat this we get more speed you know what what can judges see what can judges not see like all the secret sauce you know yeah. so so that's cool um, they flew great yeah i also enjoyed having so joe cool. mcmurray on hand uh joe is a he is a personality man he is a, He's a force he is a force yeah he he is a force. Let me ask you guys this: How come you guys didn't summon him to just punch Mother Nature right in the right in the gut <laughs> and stop that wind? Well, I think we tried. That's why he was on the corner, right, Brian? Yeah, exactly. I did send Joe McMurray to the corner. Yeah. After his first doing flight, I was like, "Get get out of here! I don't even want to see you for two hours." It's like disgraceful. He, what is he? He's seven. Awesome, it's not in the nineties. Get out of here. Get out of here. Do better. He did. Uh, he did bring some lift stuff. You'd be proud. Uh, the first place in primary sportsman and intermediate all got uh, free lift stuff, flight cap, kneeboard, and shoes. Awesome. Yeah, That's the I love that. Shoes that I've won from lift. Yeah, the winner of advance awesome. got uh, jack shit, and we gave away a free extra to unlimited. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it was great. I yeah. love it. It was great. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. love it. Yeah. No, I did. I did get a, a fifty dollars gift card to Lyft. So, oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Damn it. So, so thanks to uh, oh good. Thanks to Joe for that and Lyft Aviation. Definitely um, appreciated. So. Dude, Lyft is getting more and more. Um, uh, talking to the guys over there, Braden and, and uh, Todd. Um, they're they're they've they've always been super receptive. Anytime I'm like, hey, can, can you know, we get some. Uh, uh, you know, shoes for this raffle or um, 
prizes for banquets at contests or anything like that. They're, they've always been super receptive and, and have never said no. They're starting to get, they want to do it more and more and more and more. So, um, Brian, we can, um, you know, for, um, the next Brago contest or any other contest for that matter, they would be super receptive to anything that you would want for the contest what? in terms of trinkets and prizes or yeah. uh, raffles yeah. or Wait, when is uh, awards. When are those gloves coming out, Mark? Oh, that's a good question. Have you so, announced that they're actually gloves yet? Because Jeff was like, you were all you were being all secretive about this new thing that was coming out when you introduced it on the podcast, and then Jeff let it drop that they were. I don't know. He said something like, "Oh yeah, the the pair on my hands or something." Yeah, and you were like, "Oh okay, yeah." yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he texted me. He's like, "Should we cut that out?" I was like, "We can if you want." And he's like, "Eh, fuck it." Yeah. And so yeah, it's just it's kind of been living. Um. Uh. So they are gloves. They are gloves. Avisport. Um our gloves. They right now we, uh, so the shipment arrived uh, from the manufacturer. We're shipping a few out for people to test. And then um, we'll kind of go from there. Um, I don't know if you guys, Alex, you wear gloves, um, right? Don't you? Alex no. is asleep. No, I don't wear gloves. I, I, I do. Mark. Okay. I, I am you know. a, I am a convert to a glove on my right hand. I, I do the Michael Jackson, just glove on my right hand on the stick. And One no, glove? Yeah, no glove on the throttle, but I am a convert to the benefits of uh, a glove. So That's called the stranger. I, I, <laughs> the stranger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> never mind. I'm so used to gloves now that I don't like flying without them. Um, but I was like, I, 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 kind of went the safety element of it. like when i started getting into like the idea of wanting a helmet it was it was for only it was for no other reason other than safety and then i'm like okay gloves are kind of they kind of make sense too like it'd be nice if you know if there was a fire that at least i could use my hands to get out of the you know maybe protect it a little bit um but now so these gloves aren't they don't have any kind of like fire return or anything like that but they're they're not thick they're not like so i initially like i think i i tried a pair of alpine star gloves and then i had a pair of uh um god radical race gear gloves that were like the skeleton kind of thing mm -hmm. and then um uh bought sparkos and and have been wearing those ever since kind of the same same that, that rob uses um these are are a very very thin breathable um, non-safety kind of glove. So definitely something that's just literally for a little bit of grip, mm. breathable and, and, and not, and not having your, uh, your bare hands, I guess, um, you know, get callous or anything like that, but they're, they're pretty grippy. Um, and they're actually really nice. And I wasn't sure how I was going to like them at first when Jeff had the idea. Um, he sent me a pair to try and I was like, okay, I actually really, really like these. So I, th I think people that don't want to wear gloves because they're cumbersome in a cockpit would really gravitate towards these. And I think really like them. Yeah, I give him a shot. Yeah, me, me too, for sure. I mean, I, um, I just, I just started flying with gloves about uh, three weeks ago, because um, Pike, Pike Kelly, my aerobatic guru, was like, "Hey, man, you'll bobble less stops if you fucking had a pair of gloves." And um, I don't know how fucking knew that, but he was right. So, so gloves it is. I just, nice. I just joined the nice. uh, the lift shoes community. Uh, I got myself a pair of lift shoes with the little sliders on the heels just in time to not fly the panzel. It was great. So did you, uh, we got it. First of all, we got to talk about that in, in a, uh, proper manner, but, um, have you used the shoes at all? Yeah. So I flew Fine. a 
couple Panzel flights with them, but, you know, not full sequences, just practicing individual figures. And then the ferry flight out to Borrego, I was wearing them. And I had some uh, sneakers beforehand. So the Panzel is, if you haven't sat in one, it's it's different than the extra because you're almost really like reclined, right? Your feet are basically up by your uh, chest level. You know, they're really, really high. You're, you're really sitting down yeah. uh, with your feet up high. So the heel of my sneakers would kind of drag on that, you know, metal skid plate before the rudders. And I thought, all right, well, maybe there's something to this slider nonsense. Uh, I should try out these shoes. And then, you know, Lyft had that discount code for Sun and Fun that gave me 40 bucks off. So I pulled the trigger and I got a pair of these things. And first of all, I think it's you that said, oh, I would walk around in these things all day. They're so comfortable. Uh, I tried that. I would not recommend. Uh, maybe it's just because they're not broken in yet. But walking around the Borrego ramp, my feet hurt so bad the next day. So I'm saving them no, for flying. They definitely break in. Yeah, they 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 definitely break in. Um, no, I, my so which ones did you get? Did you get the uh, like the Ultra Mesh or which ones did you get? Oh God, uh, or do you know? I don't. know. It's okay if you don't know. Yeah. Um, the Ultra Mesh. I and I, the reason why I bring up Ultra Mesh in its um by name is because the the sidewall of the shoe is different material than than like the talons or some of their other shoes. And they're a little bit softer, a little bit more forgiving, uh, um, but they yeah. still definitely have to break in. They definitely have to break in. Yeah. Um, the reason why I kind of don't like wearing them all day is simply because of the their best feature, and that's the heel, the heel yeah. part. Like yeah, I, don't, yeah. I, it makes me sound like I'm wearing high heels, and and you know what? If I'm they gonna sound like I'm wearing high heels, I want to wear. I want to wear some fucking high heels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stilettos. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, exactly. Yeah. It's you know, hey, it's my thing. I don't know. Um, but the shoes from a from a functional standpoint are. I actually really, really enjoy um, flying with them. I think they work really, really well as a flying shoe. Yeah, I don't have any complaints. Uh, they definitely catch less on the rudder slides during you know snaps and things where I need to move my feet real fast. Um, so I enjoyed flying with them. Uh, I just wish I got more time with them before uh, you know stop flying the panzel. Yeah, yeah. I, I love yeah, the that- shoes. I literally wear them every single day. Uh, well, there you go. Good deal. And and they definitely do take break in um 100% because I have a wider shoe uh, or a, a wider foot and um lifts like they're definitely a narrower fit kind of a European I guess cut of shoe um I've talked about this before but like in the cycling world you buy you buy Italian cycling shoes and you're just like what what fucking person is this made for it's <laughs> they're super narrow you have to get two sizes too big you know just to be able to fit in it um yeah. And I would say that that lift kind of goes on the on the narrower side, um, but they break in great. And um, I haven't had any like fatiguing issues of like if I fly in the morning um, and have to do something after that and I just end up having the shoes on all day. Yeah. They don't bug me at all. Um, but they did it first. Definitely. Um, we're a little tight. And after the end of the day, I'm like, OK, my feet kind of hurt a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah. So um, I just keep them in my hanger now. I put them on before I fly and then I switch back to my other shoes uh, and go to the gym. Got to keep up with Joe. Nice. We're all trying. To That's keep it. Up. We're all trying to keep up with Joe. Jesus Christ, dude! Did you see the photo of him working out his uh, rotator cuff on the ramp? He just had an elastic band and just yeah, <laughs> working out in between flights. Just yeah, get, just getting it in, dude. Yeah. That, that's all. He, he's just he's always he's always working out. Got to get that pump, man. He's always working. Out. I'm gonna have my wife That's drive it. out a weight set next time. I'm just gonna do some bench pressing. <laughs> oh yeah, right. you want, on the judging uh, line. You want to intimidate yeah, people? Just like set up their back right by the Great Lakes, and you're just like, 
<laughs> I'm surprised he didn't show up to the morning briefing shirtless. Yeah. Uh, We're not be, prepared to handle that. Yeah. You could just be no, like, <laughs> nobody is. Brian's just amped up on pre workout, like for the morning briefing, just fucking even louder than you are now. Oh, man. <laughs> you guys, you guys don't know because I made the brief on time, but my alarm did not go off the second day. So at like six, the breakfast starts at 6 30, briefing is at seven. At like 6 20, Miko is just pounding on my hotel room door and I would not have noticed. Uh, I would have just slept right through that. My wife woke up and was like, Hey, I think somebody's pounding on the door. Uh, so I scrambled to get over to the briefing by seven and just made it. Oh my goodness. That's funny. By the skin of the teeth, huh? Yeah. You, you know, we were talking about drama earlier. Brian, you want to tell him what you were going to do with my plane? Oh, I'm so sad about this. So, uh, we had, we had concocted this idea. We were going to come out in the middle of the night and take Alex Huey's plane off the line, stash it in a hangar, but leave all of his other stuff at the parking spot, you know, like his extra oil and bag and stuff. So he comes out in the morning and he's like, dude, where's my plane? Uh, and we were going to pretend like we had no idea what was going on, but there were no, there were no empty hangers left because we had a huge turnout. So we couldn't do it. Uh, next. That's a good problem to have. Yeah. Yeah, that's hilarious. Luckily. Yeah. <laughs> luckily, we'll yeah. be giving it back to you um, eventually. Yeah, rather than ten minutes before the uh, yeah. the flight. Yeah, I'd be like, oh yeah, man, check <laughs> hangar fifty three. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Listen, what would Howard, you guys? Uh, Howard needs all the help he can get now. You're chomping on his heels. So is, is that the next face off? Well, I guess it's not going to be the next face off challenge because you're uh, you're going to go to advance, but. Um, how did he feel about that? How did Howard feel about that? I mean, sure, he's such an amazing guy that he just was like, "It is what it is, man." Yeah, you, you were better. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. any any shit talking or any fun, just for fun drama. I out of that? there's no way you can shit talk Howard. No. He, <laughs> yeah, Howard that is true. He's too nice of a guy, and he's the most. Yeah, he is the most gracious guy. Yeah, if there's one guy that supports the sport and wants to see like me do well and Alex do well or anybody do well, it's it's Howard. Um, you know, he was nothing but confident. He was so happy when I told him the scores. Uh, like, I, I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And like, we all know. He's, he's somebody who truly doesn't give a shit about wh- where he places. Right. And, and, you, and you know this, like, like Brian, Mark and Alex is like, you fly aerobatics, like you really fly it against yourself, you know? Yeah. And it was, you know, being on the judging line, like Howard made a few mistakes and he, he, you know, I mean, I say no excuses and like, we all, I think we all agree. Howard's like, yeah, I, I, I made, I made mistakes and Alex didn't. So uh, Alex earned, earned the win a hundred percent. Um, but what I think is funny. And I told this to Alex, like right before we talked to Howard, I said, you know, what's, what's really, what's really interesting here, uh, out, like if you're on the outside looking in and you don't know Howard, you don't know Alex, you don't know anything about this sport. Um, you just know the airplanes and the names and something about aerobatics. I said, Alex, you're really in a no-win situation because um, if you beat Howard, it's expected because you have an airplane advantage. And if you lose to Howard, you suck because you have an airplane advantage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we all know that that's not the case, but it's just uh, it's a- absolutely kind of funny. I'm not sure. I'm not, not sure that fun. you have the airplane advantage when you're flying against Howard in the Great Lakes. Well, that, exact, he, exactly like, right. He, yeah. Howard puts a one and a half outside snap on a down 45 in his free in the Great Lakes, right? Like he opts into 
unlimited figures in his free intermediate free uh, in the Great Lakes. That's honestly super impressive. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Yep, that's crazy. Yeah, and he nails it. I mean, okay, so I I actually have to ask this from a technical standpoint. I I have have maybe twenty one hours in the Great Lakes um, from from years and years and years ago uh, teaching in it, Um, and so I, I kind of remember how they fly. You know, basically. Maybe eighty five percent or ninety percent of a super D, I guess, uh, comparatively, a little bit more drag. Um, I can't imagine doing a one and a half outside snap. Uh, he he pulls Pro- it like off. properly, yeah, and he does it and he does it properly. I mean, not, we're not talking about kind of cheating the way through. This no, is I a, mean he puts it on a actually, down forty five, right? Because it's not going to do that on an up forty five or it a won't do it. Yeah, sure, but yeah, still, I yeah. mean, he doesn't. It, in Impressive. other words, he doesn't have to fly negative snaps and he still elects to do that he does intermediate free because he's that good that's what's yeah you know i actually didn't know that he had the one and a half outside snap in there i think he may have taken it out this year because he he told me he's getting a little further up there and uh he doesn't want to fly that aggressively but i have copies of all of howard's old freeze and it's definitely there i remember it yeah and he, Dear he and he makes the airplane just present so well and so smooth. That's what's cool. It pulls to the vertical line, it rolls, it pitches over, and you're just like, man, how do you make that 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 big bird just look that light? Which, and he gives everybody an advantage because he has to take a break. Yep. Yes. He has to wag out and come back in. Yeah, he spots everybody. I, I don't I don't have to do that. And I I still lost to him at the last contest. Well Howard won As uh, Howard, Howard won the freestyle. You know, he, yeah. he won a flight. You know, and that's what we talk about minimizing mistakes, like and, and consistency. So Alex didn't, you didn't win any flights, but you, I didn't win a, any of the flights. I got third, second, and second. Yeah, yeah, but everybody else made mistakes, so, I and mean, you came away with the overall win. So yeah, yep. Jeff has been saying that forever. It's like you just show up to a contest and make the least amount of mistakes. It doesn't even, it's not even necessarily how good you fly. It's just the least amount of mistakes. Yeah, that'll get the job done. And you can place. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I had uh, uh, no outs and no zeros the entire time. Oh, My flying won, improves dramatically when I stay on the ground. You, you, you won the the, uh, the greenest pilot award. Well, and you should have and you should have uh, uh, tied for a higher score than Mark Pollard. That uh, that is true. Yeah. Oh, if, this, you award, if you awarded that to yourself for not flying, the irony would have, oh my God. <laughs> that would have been so funny. <laughs> that would have been so funny. Oh, you awarded it to yourself for not flying the contest. Oh. <laughs> uh, I didn't even think about that. Oh, fuck. That's too funny. I love it. I love it. Um, well, guys, it sounds like Brega was an amazing contest overall. I think so. I'm biased, it always is. but I think so. Yeah, it's always what's uh, what's on the what's on the docket for the, for the next Borrego contest? Oh, so I mean, do you make any changes? Yeah, so we're, we're definitely going to run it without corners. See how that goes. Uh, yep, boundary judges. And yep. the other thing is, um, it's not set in stone yet, but I have talked to Mark King, uh, the president of Forty Nine, and we are looking at teaming up again with Thirty Six Forty Nine, doing the huge trophy spread again for the fall from Ray's Aviation, the custom trophies, the props, camshafts, the whole nine yards. Um, and oh, cool. We're bringing back the Friday night uh, four-minute freestyle party with the town, so it'll be a, a big thing there. And the next Borrego is also the weekend right before Halloween. It's the Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Halloween's Monday, so you have the Thursday, Friday, Saturday before. And uh, we're looking at doing some kind of Halloween theme integration for the contest. Um, don't 
hold me to that, but we'll see what we can make happen there. I'm going to do it anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, that's awesome. Advanced in the Stormtrooper costume. I love it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That would, uh, that would actually fit, fit the look of the airplane a little bit too. Yeah. Yeah. That airplane kind of looks like something out of Star Wars. Yeah, it does. That's a good point. Yeah. Some, some relic that somebody's flying on some, you know, random planet. Yeah. Like, oh, look at that thing. Absolutely. <laughs> cool. And what about uh will, will there be like Coldplay this 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 shit with this time, Brian? Uh no, we're actually going Coldplay. with Creed. Yep. Creed. Creed for the fall. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Creed. <laughs> yeah. Creed. <laughs> the the irony is I bet you could book Creed. <laughs> I can't believe how many people thought that I was serious about Coldplay. When I put up, they literally, you know, I got texts from people that were like, really? How did you get Coldplay? <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Yeah. I do I a good job awesome. selling stuff. Yeah. Jeez. You, you can sell. <laughs> hey, it, it, you know, it, uh, and it, uh, it shows. I mean, you know. Yeah, it's all um, false advertising, but I can sell. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I have a, um, I'll, I'll pose a question and then uh, we'll wrap up here because we're, uh, we're, uh, coming right on an um, hour and 28 minutes and counting now. But uh, uh, I'm sure most of you know, and if you haven't uh, been made aware, that uh, Worlds is in real jeopardy for the U.S. team this year with insurance. Mm-hmm. What are your guys' thoughts on that and the impact of the team? I know this is that's a total departure from talking about Borrego, but I, I'm curious, um, uh, obviously, because you guys are, um, you know, uh, multi, multi-time-a-year competitors and, and or contest directors in the case of uh, Brian. What what are, are we are we going to see? I mean, I know this has to do. It's it's almost solely to do with the Ukraine uh, Russia conflict, but insurance is always a hot topic, and underwriters are always moving the bar and changing things. You guys think that you're going to see, or have you seen changes to premiums, um, level of coverage? Been worried about having a contest be covered, um, and what that's going to uh, and the impact that um, the U.S. not being able to compete at WAC potentially this year is going to have on on the team. I know it's a lot of questions. So, uh, I got a tiny bit of inside baseball knowledge there. What I've heard is that it's definitely not going to happen, um, due to the insurance yeah. and due to, uh, delays, import delays, right? There's some backups, uh, getting stuff off ship. So, you know, unless your airplane's there, it's, it's too late to get it imported. Um, so it sounds like it's, it's definitely not going to happen. Um, but insurance wise, you know, I just renewed the policy on my Great Lakes. I switched carriers and it's actually a little cheaper for me this year um, than it was in the past. But I don't I didn't bump up the whole coverage. And I think it's a crazy freaking time because I think my airplane, because we printed trillions of dollars and inflation went nuts, is actually worth more now than it used to be. Um, which doesn't happen, but I didn't increase the whole value. And, uh, I probably should have, I guess, because I don't think I could replace my airplane for what I have it insured for. Uh, you know, if they just handed me that amount of cash, um, I like, we're you bring up a great times, point. Man. I didn't, I, it is super weird. I, yeah, so, uh, the extras insured for one eighty five. Yeah. And you know, uh, whether or not it's worth more, I guess would be in the eye of the beholder that's, that's willing to purchase it. But, Certainly, um, extras in that class are going for more than that. And I actually thought about this. I was like, shit, maybe, maybe it is a good idea to, to bump it up. And I didn't either. Yeah. Um, it's insane how much airplanes are going for now. Cause I, yeah, if that thing, if that thing got totaled out, uh, we'd have 
we'd be hard pressed to find any extra for that price. Yeah. Let alone one that, that isn't the condition that ours is in. Yeah. I've been looking at extras, um, you know, because I got to solve an airplane situation and yes, come to the dark side, hard to find one for less than around 300, you know, one that you would want to compete in. There's some, uh, other ones out there and, and more beat up ones. Um, but it's hard. They're, they're like all hovering, you know, kind of right around 300, 285, uh, to 300 and stuff. And man, it's tough. A lot of money. It's a lot of money to buy, but then to insure an airplane for 300, right? That's basically like, you know, twice what you're paying for your whole. So double your insurance bill every year, you know, and suddenly you're shelling out like 13 grand, 14 grand for insurance every year. Uh, That becomes. Yeah. 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 It's just not possible for me. Yeah. I, I run liability only the bare minimum for a contest. Yeah. I, yeah. I think we'll start to see more and more people doing that down the road because the whole that like it's just I I don't want to spend fourteen grand a year just to insure my plane. Yeah, at that at that point, no. At that point, you're really just like, well, I'll, I'll take my chances and watch the crosswind component, right? Like, what are you gonna yeah. do? Yeah, like you're yeah. buying a yeah. new airplane every five years. You know, yeah, it adds up. Like yeah. five years, well, you spent seventy grand on an airplane. Yeah. Well, and it used to be like, uh, you know, when I would do a pitch checkout for somebody that was buying an S1 and back when you could buy an S1, almost any S1 for, you know, 25, 30, 35 grand. It's like, don't, you would never insure the hole. And then in underwriters stopped insuring the hole. And it's just like, Hey dude, just get liability. It's 25 grand. It is what it is. You know, you ball it up, you know? Yeah. You're, you're, you're kind of shit out of luck, but if you think about the cost that it would take to to insure the hole on that, yeah, every five years you're buying a new airplane. Yeah, every every five years you could buy a brand new airplane. Are you going to crash every five years? Hopefully not. So you know you kind of run, uh, you run that that um, risk analysis, and and a lot of times it doesn't make sense to insure some of these uh, lower cost airplanes. But that w- the crazy thing is, is that the 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 I don't know uh, the, the limit or or the 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 line where you draw the line. I mean, it used to be. Okay, maybe 25, 30, 35 grand, maybe 40. Now you're looking at 80? Yeah. 90 grand uh, is the cut where you don't you're going to self-insure a $90,000 airplane? Yeah. That would never have happened 5 years ago. It'd be crazy to do that. Yep. Um but it's it's yeah. becoming so cost prohibitive to insure um some of these airplanes. And yeah, and I, I don't know, uh, yeah, it's great. It, go buy a Gamebird, go buy an NG for $550,000. That's that's awesome. Then you get it home and you're unless you're a really um not a high time pilot, but you, you better have a few hundred hours of table and some high performance table experience at that to even get insurance, but you're going to spend $13,000 to insure it yeah, yeah, no doubt. every year at that point. It Easily. just becomes untenable. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, 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 I agree. I spoke with my insurance agent uh, just in February when I, when I re up the laser. Um, and I'm like you, Mark, I I'm basically underinsured for, for the value, for the value of the airplane I should probably bump it up. Um, cause it's, cause it's worth more now. Um, but you know the guys that can can afford to buy those type of airplanes that are in the half million dollar range can typically afford the insurance. Um, True. But what he explained to me is like, hey, like once you meet a certain level of experience, you know, um, the, the the whole value, you know, once you meet a certain level of experience, you know, the the it's just a straight multiplier based on the whole value of the airplane, you know, and there's no wiggle yeah. room in that. Like you, you it, mm-hmm. it's hundred million. Uh, a million dollar liability that's like flat rate for everybody um and then yeah. you know if you meet the requirements you're in like the i don't know whatever the low risk group or whatever and then it's like 
X amount of dollars per thousand dollars insured. That's the rate you pay. And like each underwriter has a slightly different rate. So yeah, if you're insuring $500,000 airplane, it's going to be a lot of goddamn money. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's a guy. Yeah, uh, and then the risk, the, the risk that you, uh, that you add to it, like wanting to instruct or wanting to compete, you know, I, I, I um, I, I'm through a Vemco and, and they're like, yeah, you can compete. You can do whatever you want with it. As long as, uh, you know, there's like a few things that I can't do in the airplane. And I, I can't even remember what they are. It's a pretty, pretty carte blanche. Like I can even do, I can do formation. I can do all that kind of stuff, clinics, whatever. But, um, a lot of underwriters, when I got like, when I got a quote from, uh, I think it was from Falcon, they were pretty restrictive. Mm. That three years ago, and I had a ton of tailwheel time, a ton of aerobatic uh, teaching and instruction and ta- and high performance. It was kind of uh, it was kind of weird. Um, and that was three years ago. Uh, in June, I will have owned the airplane three years. Um, and it's crazy to see how insurance has changed even from then uh, to now. You know, what's weird is um, so I had an insurer that I worked with for many years um, on the Great Lakes and I called them up. I insured the Panzel for the year and I call them up and say, Oh, I got this, you know, Panzel now I need to insure it. Uh, here's the stats on it. Here's what it is. They've never heard of it. Right. They declined to even consider covering it. There's only one place that would cover the Panzel. And then I find out this year when I get quotes to renew my great lakes policy, that same insurer, um, you know, the one that declined the Panzel tells me that like, you know, they go out and they get quotes from all these underwriters, but they tell me like nine of the underwriters declined to cover the Great Lakes. Uh, yeah. You know, oh, wow. and I asked why. And they said, oh, you know, a lot of times they just don't want to be involved with certain kinds of aircraft. Um, you know, and I had requested coverage for aerobatic contests and things. It's it's going to be a problem if more and more insurers are just like, oh, aerobatic contests. Fuck off. You know, right. And I like, yeah, I don't. That's just this is a, another topic. I don't want to digress. Um, too much but it's like there in my opinion there is not a level of increased risk with aerobatics it's uh for some people it's a uh perceived risk which yeah. i don't think is, it is yeah is i don't think it's justified but honestly the, well, flight and the contest is more risky yeah, yeah. the cross, the cross <laughs> absolutely especially for us over rugged absolutely yeah especially a flight you know over the desert over rugged terrain you know crossing crossing bodies of water like yeah yeah no, well, I, when you think I, about the I'm risk, you're flying about, in the box than I am uh, bringing the thing back to Arizona. Yeah, I'm always looking for well, an out below me. Absolutely. And th- think about think about like where the 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 brunt of accidents occur. It's takeoff and landing, right? Mm-hmm. Especially for tailwheel airplanes. You know, um, you know, um, the partner that had the incident in my airplane uh, it was landing. It it wasn't during aerobatics. It wasn't during anything else. You know, um, and and. I think the highest risk is is probably landing incidents if you were to look at it from an insurance insurance standpoint. And oh, sure. I think what we're seeing um, when again, uh, kind of going back to when um, the flight school I was teaching at, it it switched owners, and then the owner kept it the exact same for several years. But he was really nervous about aerobatics. He didn't know. He just simply didn't know. He bought the school. He liked what it was about. Liked that it was unusual didn't really think about aerobatic stuff. And we were at a dinner one night and I was like, you know, um, it'd be great um, with chapter 38 on the field um, to have a presence with them. We have a pits, we have an extra, we have a super D we have Satabrias. Um, we didn't have the great lakes anymore uh, at that time, but it was like, Hey, let's get involved with 38. Let's have these airplanes go to contests. Um, we can, you know, compete. We can do all this kind of stuff. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That, you know, that's so, I can't ensure that. That's way too risky. We're not doing that. In fact, I kind of, now that you just mentioned that, I think I want to sell all the aerobatic airplanes. This is crazy. None of this daredevil shit's going to happen over here. Mm-hmm. This is like, okay, we got to take, I, we're, okay. 
order another glass of wine and we're going to talk about this because he had no idea what a contest actually meant. Yeah. Um, and, and, and what the contract, was. he literally thought it was like airshow flying. And I think a lot of these underwriters, you know, we're, we're losing at kind of the generation that's shifting, uh, where people kind of know about this stuff. Now it's, it's people that have, have never seen, um, these airplanes. They're hearing the words, you know, contest or, or competition or aerobatics. And it's like, uh, and it ought to be, I, I don't, it that sounds the risky. Exact opposite, right? It ought to be the exact opposite. If you're an insurance broker, you should hear, "Oh, this person's an aerobatic competitor." That means that they are a really good pilot, right? right. Like they, I agree. They go out. They know energy management. They know how to maneuver the airplane through the full flight envelope. They're not intimidated by stalls and spins, right? It ought to be, yeah. Give me that guy. That's the guy that's not going to fuck up. You know, exactly. Uh, Agreed. And we need to change that Agreed. narrative a bit for the insurers because well, uh, the, all those primary pilots, the the Satabrias, they landed in thirty knot winds on a on a on a foreign runway in the middle of the desert after flying aerobatics in the box. Right, your your adrenaline's up, your blood's going all over the place. And you still you zero ground loops, zero incidents. Everybody handled uh, the whole day just stellarly. And I think you know the aerobatic pilots are some of the best pilots. You should want those people on your insurance. Absolutely. It would lower the premiums uh, in terms of, of, of risk and, and having an incident or accident per year, yeah. having, having those types of people. Cause they're just simply better pilots. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. it's really the, yeah. And I think um, right now the narrative is, Oh, aerobatic pilots, they're a bunch of, you know, they're buzzing people's barns inverted and doing all this risky crap. They're going to be a huge liability for us, but I'll bet if you looked at it, right, all of your landing accidents, the stuff that you're really paying out for as an insurer very few of those involve aerobatic, you know, people, you know, because, yeah. you know, well, and more so it, it doesn't involve a contest either. I mean, even yeah. I guess you could even look at it like this, you know, um, and, and I know we will, we'll get off soon, guys. I know we're, we're going beyond a little bit here, but you look at like, let's say an incident did happen during landing at a contest. Well, that was a landing incident, not a yeah. aerobatic or contest related incident. Absolutely. You know, and so that would just go that, 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 um, metric would go on the spreadsheet as a landing incident, yeah. not a aerobatic or contest incident. So, you know, you look at how many times a year somebody actually does crash doing aerobatics. It is a very, it really is a very small percentage. Obviously we feel everyone uh, almost personally because the community is so small, yep. but it's a very small percentage uh, versus people that ball an airplane up on takeoff or landing or running out of fuel or well, all kinds of other stuff that are completely unrelated to contest flying and aerobatics in general. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, but yeah. I, so I've heard uh, going back to whack. I've, I have heard that they are working on leasing a, or, uh, or have secured uh, a three thirty SC one three thirty SC to use. Um, but that obviously leaves out unless, uh, Rob's going to fly odds airplane, uh, which I don't know that he would want to do that. And I don't know why anybody would want to fly somebody else's airplane at whack because it's that uh, you're already starting at a disadvantage. Yeah, but they are, they're if all the team wanted them. just a little bit different, right? Like every airplane you get in yeah. is just a little bit different than the one you're yep. used to for sure. Yeah. Especially yeah. at that level, you know, where every tiny little thing matters. Oh yeah. It's all hundred uh, yeah. percent. I think, you know, going back to your initial question with the insurance thing, like it, it, it's, it's not just insurance, right? Insurance is slowly going to price people out of the game. And we already see it at the super high level where it, you got to pay a lot of money to play. Um, and now yeah. we talk about not being able to get insurance or insurance is just cost prohibitive to ship your airplanes over to Europe. Well, it already was damn near cost 
prohibitive to get your airplane to Europe. Um, we see the top guys in the sport that have the, the ability um, and the money to do it will continue to do it. But the bigger question is, until aerobatics becomes something that's important to people, i.e. the government or more money, um, with state sponsors or actual money behind it, I think we will see the continuing decline of U.S. national participation at the world level. Which dude, we just yeah. need we just need Elon Musk to get into aerobatics. Absolutely, and it like Let's breaks take down for a ride. Like, yeah, it was, we have you know we have we have talent, we have pilots, we have people that want to go. But look at you know look at the French, the Russians, you know other national teams. They're they're state sponsored. There's you know they have other. You know, one year. Well, I don't think the Russians are going to be attending well, wacky. Either. Right. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, but, they yeah. might be no, and I, in a tank. You know, we're, we're not getting help. Yeah. You know, it's been what, 20, 30 years since since the U.S. loaded up airplanes in a C-5 and flew them over to Europe like that. That is never going to happen again. Um, it's, it, those days are gone. Exactly. Those days are gone. And like, what's it going to take? Well, and, you know, does that well, beg the question that, that uh, left fuel in their tank? <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, basically what it boiled down to. Yeah, uh, fuel I think leaked out, and it, it, the Air Force got real bent out of shape. But um, what would you think? How do I want to ask this? How about final question? Should nationals and will nationals be a bigger focus because of it? And in the future, can nationals become? You know, because nationals just is really a means to make the team in in a lot of people's eyes, right? It's a it's just kind of a it's a thing that you got to do. Shouldn't it be the core focus? Shouldn't it be the it should be the biggest thing for a U.S. competitor is to win national. Obviously, you want to win WAC, you go to WAC, but like uh, nationals should be, I, I think, at more of a forefront than it is. Oh, I think, stuff like this maybe make I, it. I think it's at the very top. I think the biggest feather you, in that aerobatic competitor's cap is winning Borrego. There we go. At the wow. moment. At the yeah. moment, yeah. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. It should be, it will be a bigger deal if, if whack is canceled, right? Uh, what I feel bad for yeah. is all of the freaking drama we had about the team this year and, you know, the, the jury stuff and all that to set the team. And now it doesn't even matter because we're not going over there. Like, ugh. I know. What an ending. I know. What you an know. ending. Yeah. And I've, Alec, Alex, to, like, it, it was your response that you think it is the biggest? Is that an emotional, like, you you personally think it's the biggest? Or do you really feel like people regard it as the biggest contest? Well, I mean, a little of both. I think people think it's a big contest. I mean, look how many attendees there are at uh, Nationals every year. Yeah. I mean, it's what I hold to be the high standard, certainly the highest that I'm probably going to compete in for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, uh, I agree, Mark. I think, um, I think the focus, I think we will refocus on nationals as being like the pinnacle of the sport for at least domestically. Uh, I think there's been perhaps too much emphasis or visibility on it being team selection and almost nobody cared about anything else. Um, well, if the world stuff is kind of unreachable, um, it, we just have to turn inward. Um, you know, I, I, I still think nationals is, you know, nationals is nationals. Um, the heavy hitters go. And I think that's the, the litmus test. You know, I'd like to see all the, all the best pilots from all over the, the country show up. That isn't always the case, but um, yeah, I think it'll, um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's already held in high regard now. I just think that'll just uh, in- increase. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I kind of, yeah. So this, this year's going to be even bigger because we got uh, the advanced worlds here in uh, the U.S. Yeah. This, so the advanced selection is going to be a, a huge, it's going to be huge. huge that that field yeah. is going to be insane. That's going to be really, really, really fun to watch. Which and I, uh, I did, tough, I did talk to Matt Dumphy about it. He is, uh, he's going to go for the advanced team. He's going to hang out in advanced one more year and uh, fly advanced. So everybody is now competing for second place. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. But I, so <laughs> I've heard he's been flying really lights out, dude. There is not a time Beyond Matt Dumphy does out. not fly lights out. I yeah. think I think nationals with respect to the advanced and team selection is going to be really interesting because um, you know, and I was talking to Alex Coates, who's who uh, you know, that's part of his goal, too. And he's, he's flying a you know, four cylinder pits is that you're going to you're getting hungry guys like me and Alex. And, and I'm sure there's some others out there flying four cylinder airplanes and we're flying pretty damn good. And we're yeah. out there busting our butt, learning stuff traveling the contest, learning the secret sauce. And um, I think you're going to see some surprises um, just between. Dude, how freaking cool would it be to see a, an, an advanced team fielded by a, like two or three or four four-cylinder monoplanes or four-cylinder planes in general? How it, freaking cool would that possible. be? Oh, yeah. yeah I w- it's absolutely possible. I w- I w- look at Marco. Exactly. Yeah, you got Marco. You, yeah. Yeah, yeah you, got- you got Eric, who's probably only going to get better as the season progresses. Yeah, and you have all these people coming out, and like that's what's cool. That's what's motivating me. I'm like, I I don't feel that I'm at a disadvantage flying flying the laser, but I know, I mean, I mean performance wise, I am. But that just makes you train harder and, and learn the airplane even better. And you got Alex Coates flying the pits, and you got you know like look at like John Ostmeyer, like you know prior team stuff, but you know all that type of stuff coming out there um, because it's access- accessible to us. Like, don't tell me you need a 330SC to win advanced. You don't. Um, look, no, like, look at Borrego. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but let's yeah. Yeah. place first in a, a four banger and the three thirty SC was near the bottom. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, but you know, that's not indicative of, of national level stuff, but, but no, um, you're always going to score a little bit. Lower yeah. It's, it, it's, it's a step, but it's just, yeah. it's just exciting to me that that's a possibility to see what happens. You know, it's absolutely a possibility and it's absolutely probable. I, I love watching the upper guys fly like Dumphy's and AJ's and Jim and Rob and all that. It, it, it's sharp. It's crisp. It's amazing flying. Right. And I, I think nationals is kind of known for when you think about nationals, you think about the teams, you think about those guys flying the higher levels, but I wish that we yeah. would do a better job, um, you know, bringing visibility to the lower levels because it, it, this is going to sound really sappy, right? But the very first time I took an aerobatic lesson and saw the world upside down from an open cockpit biplane at the top of a loop, like it was just a, a like, oh, this is what I'm doing now. Uh, it was just a magical freaking moment. I'll never forget it. It's like a flashbulb memory in my life, right? And we get the chance to do that for other people in the lower categories, in primary and sportsman, right? Your first contest, you come out, you have fun. Your first nationals, you go to these categories, you have a ton of fun. And what we should be focused on is making those people have that kind of reaction, right? That, yep. oh my God, I have to do this. Yep. And I yeah. feel like we we spend a lot of time celebrating the upper levels, but I really wish that we would do the same for the lower levels. And, um, you know, like, for example, I made this Mark Pollard award. I didn't ask IAC's permission. I didn't like consult 
the rule. I just did it right. And yeah. I wish that um, yeah. we would do some things like that at nationals at the bigger contests, you know, to kind of just make the sport more fun and more exciting. And that's why we did the title. Belt. Absolutely. Yeah, just going to say the the title lower categories. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But yeah. like, you know, we don't award a primary national champion because why? Why? Yeah. You know, like. And, and I absolutely think you should. Yeah, I, I think, or you know, the powers that be should. What just because it's primary doesn't mean you didn't win first place, and it doesn't mean it wasn't at nationals, which doesn't make it a national championship. Yeah, cool. you know, and I, I, I don't see any reason we shouldn't celebrate achievement at every single level of the sport, whether that's a loop or you know a, a fucking end figure with ninety seven k and sixteen different kinds of snaps on it. You know, agree. Yeah, I, I agree. Because with that. It's just showing up that the fact that you put in the effort and you spent the money and you traveled to nationals, um, that's a level of commitment and you showed up and you competed. Um, that needs to be rewarded. You, yeah. you know, so I, I agree. And I kind of get, I've been told that my, uh, comments and personality are kind of making it difficult for California pilots when they leave California because, uh, they get now they're like, Oh God, you're from California, which I don't really buy because that's just the way everybody gets treated when they leave California. They're like, Oh, you're from California. Jesus. Um, but I, I kind of hope that, uh, other contests will adopt some personality, right. And have some fun like Koalinga and that sportsman belt that I modeled the Mark Pollard award on. That's a great idea. Why don't other contests do fun stuff like that? Yeah, um, let, you know, and and try things yeah, out, try, mix things up. We try to up. do the uh, snow cone out here in the yeah, Tequila Cup. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah and let's, yeah. let's. I love stuff like that. There's other big contests on the East Coast and in, in Texas and in the middle of the country. Like, let you're right, Brian. Let's see some personality. Yeah, um, come like, up with some cool you know, stuff, custom stuff. Because you know? like we're, we're well, and this is a problem. This is a problem that uh, you know I'm bears. Sure Tracy's going to be a great contest. Tracy's going to be awesome. It's going to be a huge turnout. I'm sure. Um, I, I don't know about the personality aspect or element of it, but certainly uh, you will have personalities there that will make it fun. I don't You know, I, I don't know that 38 has that. The, the, the it factor that, that you have Brian in terms of, of trying to, of really thinking about, you know, the, the, I think the general c- culture of contests, uh, even at a national level is that, is that, you know what? The awards are fun. The banquets are fun, but the rest is it's hard work guys. Yeah. Uh, you're going to go and it's, it's a hard, it's, it's four days or three days of grinding. And then you get to say that that element was fun, that it's a little arduous. Um, and I, I think too many people uh, throughout the country really see this. Honestly, we got a lot of feedback about the belt and I've heard a lot of feedback about snow cone and this and that we've gotten feedback that, uh, you would be you know, the spoiler alert here is actually negative sure. uh, from some people that you would not be shocked at all that it came from. Not surprise um, me. It, yeah, it's not. And and Brian, you and I have talked about some some messages you've gotten from people. This is the same people I've gotten messages from about the stuff that that we have thought of on the podcast, just or or that we've talked about or that would be fun. And it's like you know what? There's joy killers yep. and, and and fun killers all over uh, the country that that run contests and, and just think that it's ridiculous to do anything outside the box. Yeah. So that it's an unfortunate thing. If you like, I look at it this way. If you just want to fly your airplane, do aerobatics and be miserable, that's fine. But this is bigger than just flying the figures in the box. It's, it's my vacation. It should be fun. 
it should be it's safe but yeah. camaraderie you know honestly i only go for the friends yeah I, the flying is fun is it what i'm focused on not most of the time it. yeah that's the only reason I want to go. Exactly, is, is just to honestly, kick it with all you guys. That's the only reason uh, I want to go. Honestly, and like flying, flying at a high level. What I what I've learned in advance is like it's a lot of work. It's a part time job. If it wasn't also fun to travel and do this stuff, why the fuck am I going to do it? I'll just do tumbles and have a good time flying over the lake. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So. I kind of um I I made a huge mistake at Borrego that I won't go into. Uh, but during the banquet, but one of the things that I said that I really kind of stick by, we um we talked about briefly, um Marianne, right, and the fact that she's no longer with us, and she was part yeah. of Borrego for a long time, uh, kind of cut her teeth there. And I know she was involved up north in Oregon as well, but as much as anywhere else, she felt like part of thirty six. Um. And, you know, no matter what happens, we're all kind of just renting space here, right? Like whether it's an accident, God forbid, or medical issues or just time, there's only so there's only a window in your life where you get to do this, where somebody gives you an airplane and says, all right, go fly aerobatics in the sky. Um, And, you know, sooner or later, all of us will move on from one thing or another. And, you know, the reality is that if you appreciate that fact, then the times that you get together with your friends twice a year in the desert, um, you know, you will enjoy them more, right? Because you realize they're transitory. It's not a permanent thing. Um, you know, they can go and it's all that matters. Yeah. It's the only thing that matters. It really is the only thing that matters. Um, the more like every, with every day I go on and, and, you know, um, Marianne's accident was just a huge devastating impact for everybody. Um, that would be, that's a gross understatement. Uh, it was just a huge, huge loss. Um, but even as I get older, I'll be 40 this year. And I, the things I think about wanting to do have, have shifted. I mean, completely like a tidal shift in the things that I value it in terms of what is important to me. What's a priority to me. What do I want to spend my time doing? What do I want to take? If I'm going to take away time from those really important things, it better be something really, really good. And I found that the things that I want to waste time on, uh, away from my family or away from friends or, uh, you know, doing piddly bullshit like that stuff has waned yeah. uh, quite a bit. Yeah. And so it's got to be it's got to be important. It's got to be worth it. It's got the juice has to be worth the squeeze. Absolutely. And that's the important stuff is hanging out with people and having fun. And if you can't can't do that and have fun over the course of three or four days, then um, in my opinion, it's not worth doing. But you guys you guys all show that uh, you're doing exactly that. Yeah, that's exactly kind of what I was getting at is like, you come out to these contests and the thing that you take away from them isn't like, ah, oh, God damn it. I was, you know, I over rotated 20 degrees or, oh, I finished three points behind Huey again. You know, um, it's all of the fun that you have at the banquets and the, and the laughs and uh, the relationships you're building with these people that you may not be there next time. They may not be there next time for any variety of reasons. Right. Um, and yeah. to yeah. live in that moment, and acknowledge that we all do something that does have some risk involved in it. And, you know, we enjoy the times that we get to spend together because one way or another, they're, they're eventually going to end. Um, that's what I like about it. You know, I will remember for the rest of my life, all of the fun times at Borrego and, you know, the laughs and the people, uh, involved with it. And, and I will never remember what my scores were. Right. Mostly because I'd never beat Alex Huey. Uh, but also, yeah, <laughs> that, that's the 100% right sentiment. Brian said it the best. Yeah. So, yeah. Couldn't have said it any better. 
Let's end. Let's end on that note, guys. Um, thank you guys so much for coming on. This worked out great. This this was a great uh, uh, wrap up of uh, Borrego, and uh, we've got to talk about a bunch of stuff. Um, and, and well, what I think maybe we'll have to have you guys on again uh, for the next Borrego contest. Let's Perhaps, do it. Yeah, thanks for having us back. You know, it's been great to be on the podcast uh, twice now. So thank thank you to Mark and and to Jeff. I know he couldn't join us, but appreciate it. Yeah, yeah that lazy ass is doing some weird shit. Yeah. I don't know in Florida. I don't know what he's doing out there. <laughs> cool. Buying an NG. There we go. There we go. I'd like to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll uh, we'll have you guys back on soon. Take care, everyone. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fly Cool Shit. Be sure to check out our website at www.flycoolshit.com. Subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes and Spotify. Any questions, comments, or feedback, shoot us an email at flycoolshit at gmail.com. 